It's been a while since I've sent out an email to everyone, hasn't it? So um, I just wanted, the reason for the email was I wanted to address uh, some of these issues that people have regarding how they process their emotions, in particular how they process their emotions about things that I say. Because what I find happens is that a lot of people listen for, some, for a period of time and then I say something that really grates them badly, right? That really annoys them or upsets them or is very personal. And instead of letting themselves sit, settle into those emotions, what they have a tendency to do is to really overreact with that emotion and live in the emotion, which is actually not the divine path, by the way. So remember all the things that I've taught you about the divine path so far have all been about owning your own emotions, allowing yourself to settle into your emotions, feel your emotions, process your emotions. And then when you do that, when you're in that state of complete ownership, obviously God can connect you far better. But unfortunately, a lot of people haven't got that message yet and so they respond quite angrily and upset with me, which has been happening for the last four or five weeks uh, for some I've got quite a lot of different uh, messages over that period at times. And even though at times you don't send me the message, trust me, when you feel it, I feel it. So I just want to <laughs> remind you of that. And so every time you get upset and angry with me, I'm feeling that. I can feel who it is and what they feel about it and why. And, <laughs> and uh, obviously, uh, sometimes there's hundreds or even thousands or sometimes in the case of spirits and millions of them doing that at one time which can get a bit overbearing. Of course I get the good ones too, but unfortunately because I'm still working through unworthiness, the bad ones have a greater effect on me. <laughs> so that's the way it goes. Now do all of you have a handout for today's session? Yep. Today's session is about longing for divine love. And what I wanted to do today, uh, this is probably the most important piece of information that you could ever tell any single person that you could ever discuss anything to do with God with. Now, the reason why I've left it this long to tell you this, and I and you'll know that I've done I have told you many messages over the over the last 18 months for, for many of you that have known me for that long about receiving divine love and how you receive divine love and so forth. The reason why I've waited until now is that it's really important that you understand the emotions inside of yourself and you understand your own soul before you actually get some of this information. And so that's what I've been doing the last 80 months, is basically preparing your soul for the reception of the most important truth of the universe, which happens to be today, what we're going to present today. Now, many of you already know it because I've discussed it many occasions before, but today I want to discuss it in detail. And in fact, the detail that I'll be providing today is not the normal, I'll even go further into detail to it in coming discussions. The reason why it's so important is because without this one thing, your soul cannot expand beyond the sixth sphere. So this particular discussion is all about how you can eternally expand as an individual. Whether you're living here on earth, and there's lots of spirits here today as well, whether you're in the spirit world or living here on earth. This information is the most important information you could ever receive. But it's connected to God. And when we hear the term God, many of us still have this shudder sort of feeling, right? Where we feel like, oh, this God stuff, you know, it's all getting a bit too religious for me. And we start going down that track. 
I sort of, the, my inter, internal viewpoint of God is a, a mixture of things. And one of the things that I internally view God is that it's a scientific fact to me that God exists. And later, down the track, we'll be talking about, and I'm not talking today, I mean down the track in later discussions, we'll be talking about how we can actually prove to ourselves that God exists. Right? But the information you receive today is one of the ways you can prove it. Because it's the reception of divine love when you ask for it that you start receiving it and you start feeling the changes within you and if you can start trusting that emotionally, that's going to prove to you the truth that actually God exists. And God doesn't exist as some kind of far-out, nebulous sort of energy source. It's not like that at all. God is a personal being, an entity, with whom you can have a relationship. So, for example, if you were just thinking for a moment... If you thought of God as an energy source, then God becomes like an electricity plant. <laughs> if you think of God as just the energy of the universe, then you can think of God as the electricity plant of the universe. Now, do you have an emotional relationship with your common, your local electricity plant? <laughs> you don't, do you? Like, right? You might have a bit of an emotion about it when you plug in the power, turn on the switch, and nothing happens, right? Then you might have an emotion. But you don't actually have feelings of love go to your electricity plant and feelings of love come back from your electricity plant. Right? Those kind of things just don't happen. And this is the problem. If, if we conceive God as being some kind of energy system of the universe, then we have a very, very incomplete viewpoint of God and also it's going to be very, very difficult for us to connect to God. Can you see that? But if we see God as a being who is my creator, your creator, my creator, and we start connecting to God on a very, very loving and personal basis, now we have a love transaction that can occur between ourselves and God. So what I'm going to suggest today, and one of the, re one of the reasons for discuss discussion today, is to address this emotional issue that some of us had, that God is still not real to us, but rather God is sort of some kind of far-off concept. Right? And what I'd like to do is, instead of thinking that way, pull it back into this God actually being your parent, a, a person, if you like, that you can connect to that you can emotionally connect to and receive love from and get love, you know, and, and give love to. Does that make sense? And if you start conceiving God in this manner, what will happen is the, the, the relationship between you and God can be established. So every spirit that's listening to our discussion today too, there are still many spirits who don't even believe in a God. They don't believe in a personal God. Or they believe that God is some kind of punishing, vindictive God because many of the spirits who attend our sessions in the spirit world are in the hells of the spirit world, so they feel like they're being punished by God, right? which is not actually a truth, but it is something they believe inside of themselves. And so what they do is they go down the track then of either feeling that God exists but is a punishing, wrathful father or going down the track of, no, God's just an energy force and not really understanding the universe at all. So what I'd like to encourage you to do over this session today is to start conceiving God as a person whom you can connect with, your best friend that you can connect with.
And that's how I've felt about God ever since I was shortly after I was born and started to feel about these things that are universal. Now, in the handout that I've given you, I think these have got adjustable. I like this. <laughs> on the handout I've given you, on the second to last page, page five, there's a message that I'd like to read to you. The reason why I'd like to read it to you is that uh, this is like this is a, a summary of a, of many of the messages that are in the pageant messages. So in that book that I've just shown you, and many messages are like this. Um, and I wanted to read one that was quite concise so that you could get the idea of what divine love does to your soul. So this is a man, Los Trenos, who lived in Spain during the Inquisition of the Catholic Church. And he's in the celestial spirit, in the celestial heavens now, but he wanted to talk about some of his experience while he was on earth and when he was in the spirit world. So here he goes. I am here, Los Trenos. I am the spirit of a man who was murdered in the Inquisition of Spain because I would not declare that I believed in the false and damnable doctrines of the Romish church. I was a student of the Bible and I learned that the church was not teaching and enforcing the true doctrines of Jesus and I would not surrender my beliefs even to save my life. The unholy and devilish priests and persecutors racked my body and tortured my mind and at last tore me asunder. But my soul preserved its faith and came to the spirit world in the fullness of its belief, all unspotted from these false teachings of the church. There were many who were tortured and killed as I was because they would not recant. So this man was torn apart, physically torn apart. That's how he died. Well, I became a spirit in all the vigor of my manly strength and greater, but I did not find myself in heaven as I expected. For I did not know what the great love was, but yet I was not in such darkness as were some of my persecutors who followed me into the spirit life. Of course, I was more or less human, and when these church devils came into spirit life and found themselves in hell, I naturally rejoiced and enjoyed for a time their suffering and condition of hellish torment, and used to visit them and charge them with my murder. But after some years, I realized that such satisfaction as I thought I experienced did not give me happiness or help me to progress, and I became sympathetic and tried to help them, which was not easy to do at first. As I continued to help them, I found that my soul was being benefited and that I was gradually getting out of the darkness in which I had been living. And so I continued this work until, at last, I came into the light and a knowledge of the truth that by helping and trying to love my enemies, I was helping myself. I will not take the time to relate to you my, fortunate, my fortune in meeting some spirits who I know possess the great love of the Father and how they taught me the way to this love, but I will only say that I am now one of the redeemed children of God and the possessor of that love and have my home in the celestial heavens. And to show you how wide and all-embracing this, this great love is, I must inform you that some of these very priests and minions of the church who committed the outrages of which I speak are now in the celestial heavens also, and of course the possessors of this great love, all their sins having been eradicated by the merciful workings of this love in their souls. 
Of course, they suffered the torments of the dam when they first came to the spirit life and for a long time afterwards, but the love of the Father and his mercy were sufficient to wash away even their sins. So from this you will see there is no sin so heinous and deadly that the Father's love will not destroy, or rather destroy the effect of it. You must excuse me for intruding as I have, but I saw that you have the gift of receiving communications from this side of the great divide, and I wanted to try the experiment. I am a redeemed child of God and can never thank him enough for his mercy. So with all my love, I will say goodnight, your brother in Christ, Los Trenos, the martyr to a belief that was not true belief, not, but not so vile and ungodly as the one that he renounced. <laughs> Obviously, Los Trenos wanted to make a few <laughs> points about that. <laughs> so what we see in this exp experience of this spirit is what we see over and over again with many, many spirits. And I've talked to literally hundreds of thousands of spirits who have progressed from the hells of the spirit world and slowly progressing, and many of them have even reached the celestial world, which, remember, is the eight sphere or above. Now, remember, from a scientific or a technical point of view, the eight sphere is like an eight dimension. It's a dimensional space of existence. The first sphere is the first dimension, another dimensional space of existence. The first sphere is a darker sphere, and as you progress, so does the light increase. But the only reason why the light increases is because the love increases. So that's why it feels brighter, it feels nicer as you progress. Now, there are two, remember in all of our discussions, we've said there are two ways of progression. What are those, what are those ways? There's the natural love path, which is developing the love inside of yourself. Then there's the divine love path, which includes the natural love, but is actually receiving God's love into your soul. Now, today's discussion focuses on receiving divine love into your soul. And remember I've said that God is an actual being of which there is scientific evidence and proof which we will provide in time to you. And in fact, that one of the goals of the 14 who have returned is to actually provide you complete truth about the existence of God. But once that truth is provided, that often gives you more faith that you can have a personal relationship. But at the moment, what's facing each one of us is we don't necessarily have so much faith about the existence of God, but we love hearing a lot about the truths of the universe that I've been discussing with you. So what I'm finding is, for many of us, you're fascinated when I talk about spiritual, you know, spiritual matters. You're fascinated when we talk about, you know, channeling and all those mediumistic type things. You're fascinated when we talk about the human soul and how everything works. And you're fascinated about the emotions and how they impact upon your children and all these kind of things. But when it comes to talking about two primary subjects, which by the way are the two greatest truths in the universe, which is the importance of divine truth and the importance of divine love, for many of us, we feel not as emotionally connected to that discussion. Have you felt that yourself? Like, you felt like, oh, I'm not feeling this so much. The reason why that is the case is because we are so used to doing all the metaphysical stuff. We are so used to looking and examining physics and metaphysics. By physics, I mean the actual physical life from a physical, from a physical or mathematical point of view. And by metaphysics, I mean the actual spirit life using similar sort of techniques. And so now there's lots and lots of information being bombarded at you from all over the world 
of proof that there is life after death, right? And there's all this information about the integration between the two lives, the spirit life and the material life. And there's all this information available to you, but the greatest information, the information that's going to make your soul progress the most, is often the information that we're the least interested in, which is quite sad, really, isn't it? Yeah. So what, what I'm trying to do today is allow you to contemplate that perhaps there's some information that is the greatest information that you could be contemplating. What I've been noticing, many of you now posting different things on the forum, and Mary reads the forum probably a lot more than I do, and uh, but she often, we often discuss it because Mary's often fascinated with what's going on today. And so what happens is Mary brings up something and we're discussing the forum, but what I see what's happening a lot of times is like when the issue of, oh, shall I have pets in the divine love sanctuary comes up, there's a whole long list of postings, right? That maybe, you know, maybe 50 or 60 of them. And when the issue of like eating raw fruit and vegetables come up, there's a long posting about that. But as yet, I haven't seen much posting about the soul. The actual, the deepest truths are still really being skipped over by many of us. Can we see that? And why are we doing that? Can you see that our focus is still very much on the physical rather than, or on the metaphysical? and less on the soul. What we discuss today is about the true soul development that each of us needs to do. And that soul development is about love. And there's only two ways you can grow in love. One way is by developing the natural love in you. And every single religious format on earth basically does that. They help you develop the love that's inside of yourself for others. It also helps you develop morally. So that's why most religious formats have different moral guidelines, which often then become rules, which often then become, you know, you must not or you must do's. Um, but in the end, they are still moral guidelines that can help you to progress. But there, are, there is very few religious formats that focus on the relationship that you can have with God without having religion. Because you do not need to have religion to have a relationship with God. Religion is just man's creation trying to define God. And what we're wanting to do is find out what God's definition of God is. Wouldn't that be much better? So when, I, when we were on earth in the first century, what happened was that there was, this, there was this time of development for myself which went for nearly 30 years. And then once I could feel myself in that condition of at one moment with God, I then started to do what was called a public ministry, what I called the public ministry. And what would happen in that public ministry was John the Baptist would go ahead of me into a town and he would prepare the town morally in natural love. So he would help that town, you know, he, he would speak openly to the town and lots of people would come around him. He was a very, very good speaker, far better speaker than I am. And so lots of people would come around him and he would, he would have this long discussions with them about developing natural love. And, and as that, as that occurred, um, lots of people's hearts were open to love, right? Just developing the natural love. And then a month or so later, I would go into that town and I would speak primarily about the divine love. Because usually a person needed to be opened a bit, a bit to love at least before they could hear the truth about divine love. And so after a little while, there came to be a group of people, similar to yourselves really, 
that when I went to speak somewhere, a group of people would come and we'd sit down and we'd talk about a certain subject, right? So it wasn't anything planned or anything like that. It was just the law of attraction at work. I'd go to a certain town. The people who wanted to listen just gathered around and away we went, right? A lot of times on the side of a mountain or on the side of a hill or, or you know, sometimes I was actually in a boat across the water and all sorts of things occurred. But one of the things that would happen in each case is there would be a group of people who really wanted to practice the truths they were hearing. And so they would always want to come along with me wherever I went, generally. So they would just follow me wherever I went. We finished up having a camp, you know, and, and, and eventually, you know, there'd be sometimes even up to a hundred people in that camp who would follow along and we'd, we'd talk about all sorts of things. Now one time, um, we were near the Sea of Galilee and we'd just finished talking to a whole group of people. And there's a mountain near the Sea of Galilee called Mount Tabor. And we, we walked to the foot of the mountain after talking. And then um, I wanted to walk to the top of the mountain, so all of the others just followed <laughs> followed me. Often they followed me away behind me. I don't know why, because I, I didn't <laughs> like. But what would often happen is they'd all get discussing something that I'd said, similar to what you do, actually. <laughs> they'd all discuss something what I said. Oh, I don't know if I can agree with that. Oh, I don't know if I can believe that. I don't, you know, they'd go through all of that, but they wouldn't tell me that, of course, right? So, so I I'd know that that's going on. And so a lot of times I'd be walking ahead and, and uh, eventually when I met Mary, she'd be with me, but the others would be, um, you know, talking about things behind us generally. But anyway, we went up the top of the mountain. Usually what I like to do is I like to pray in places that were, like, important to me. And, and Mount Tabor was important to me from a, from a time that I was a child. And so um, we'd sit down at the top of the mountain and... and um, I would usually then go off to be private and pray. And in this case, Mary wasn't with me yet, so uh, there was just mostly a group of male disciples with me at that point because a lot of the female uh, disciples didn't come with me until until Mary was with me. So um, there was a group of men basically all sitting around and they were all talking and then I came back from praying and, and sat down with them and they asked me what I was doing. And I said to them, well, I was praying. And... They all went deadly silent, right? It's like total silence. And then um, Thaddeus, who was one of them, said, uh, um, can you tell me what praying is? Because I don't know what praying is. I'm sorry, but I don't know what praying is. Some words to that effect. And so what ensued then was a discussion about prayer, which is the same kind of discussion that I've been having with you over the last few months. Remember, we've talked about prayer firstly in terms of what it is. Remember our first discussion about prayer, for those of you who were that, was about a longing from the soul and how it has to be in truth and in harmony with, with desire and passion and all those kind of qualities of prayer. So we've talked about that. And then the last time we got together, we talked about how prayer is actually harmonious with truth. There has to be truth involved. So you can actually long for truth or pray for truth. So whenever I use the word pray, if that's too religious for you, just use the word longing. Right? Or having a passion for. If you can think of it that way. I have a passion for truth. That's a prayer. I have a passion for whatever you have a passion for will be a prayer. Now, if it's in harmony with love, the prayer will be heard by God. If it's not harmonious with love, then the prayer is usually heard by a lot of other people um, in the spirit world who are not very harmonious with God and they help you go the opposite direction. Does that make sense? 
So it all just depends on what kind of harmony with love is as to who listens to this prayer. But it's all longing, passionate longing. And, and so we sat down and we actually, um, I actually described a sample prayer to them. And the sample prayer that I wanted, that, that is mentioned in the passage message, pageant messages is almost the exact sample prayer that I discussed with them. It's not in the Bible because most people didn't understand it by the time they got to write it in the Bible. So what you ended up with in the Bible was, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy king, all those kind of things, right? And not, very little of that was what I actually put in the original prayer. The reason why I want to discuss this prayer with you, because it, it, it actually shows you many of the reasons why we are not connecting with God. And every single reason why we're not connecting with God will need to be addressed. And the beauty of the prayer is it reminds you of the reasons. And if you have a feeling in your heart, you will actually start feeling those reasons inside of yourself when you're praying. <coughs> so what I'd like to do on the last page of your handout... That sun's sort of changing all the focuses, isn't it? I'm going to have to move out of the sun for a moment. Just Sorry about that. Um, yeah, well, it, it doesn't really make much difference because all along here is the same sun, so I'm just going to have to stand above it. Not that I can be very good at that. Um, what I'd like you for a moment to picture is that God is not only your creator, but God is your friend. <coughs> and you have the ability to connect with God. And God always wants this connection with you. In fact, the way God designed her universe was in such a way that every single thing that happens to you is there in order to draw you to her. So all the laws that are being created are all laws that have been created to draw you back to God. So how many of you have heard of the law of attraction? The majority of us heard of the law of attraction. That's a law that's there that's, that God uses to draw us back to God. The law of cause and effect, the law of desire, the law of compensation, the law of karma, all of these different laws are laws that God's established in order to bring us back to God. So... God wants you. God wants your longings. You know, there is only, in fact, one thing that God can't get because of the way she designed her universe. There's one thing that God does not have control over. You know what that is? Well, it's actually your soul. God doesn't control your soul because your soul has free will. And in particular, there's one thing God would love to have from you and that is your love. But that is a gift that you can give God. It's not something that God expects from you, and it's not something that God demands of you, but it is something that God would love, dearly love to have from you. Many of you are parents, right? So you understand that when you have a child, you dearly love your child to love you. You love the child, but you would also like the child to love you, wouldn't you? That's how, how it is. And so this is how it is in relationship with God as well. So if you can think of God as not only as this awesomely powerful being 
who is your creator, and I I feel God is my king. God is God is like to me. God is everything to me. Not only is God those things, but God is this this parent or friend that I can connect to. And God wants your connection. You don't have to give it though. And God's not going to punish you if you don't. So you know, a lot of these religious formats teach you that God will punish you if you do this and punish you if you do that. And obviously that's not the case at all. God's just waiting. God's constantly acting though in order to get, get, to, to give you love, but your, whether your soul receives that love or not depends on a number of different things, which we'll look at in the prayer. But God is also constantly waiting for you to love her, to actually want a relationship. You know, just like when you meet a person, let's say, if you cast your mind back when your first time you met somebody that you eventually fell in love with. At the time you met them, you didn't love them straight away, generally. But what happened is over time you wanted to get to know them. You felt this, what you would call a passion inside of yourself or a longing inside of yourself, drawing you to them. Isn't that how it worked? And as that passion or longing was drawing you to them, what started happening then? You started wanting to spend more time with them. You started wanting to know them more. You started trying to find out more about them. And it's exactly the same with your relationship with God. Exactly the same. It doesn't have to be based on a religion. You don't have to ever see me again. It's got nothing to do with me. It's got everything to do with your desire, your passion for this connection between yourself and God. That's what it's all about. Now, the way this connection works... Remember, is that, so here's God. Is that a bit light? Here's God. So I'll draw God as a soul with masculine and feminine qualities. So there's God. God's got her divine love. Here's your soul. Let's draw it like that. That's your soul. You are really a half of a soul, but that's another discussion altogether. There's a connection that can be established between you and God. Scientifically, the way it works is that there's an energy pathway that can be established between you and God that is like a power connector. So you've all, most of you have heard me say this before, right? It's an energy connector. And the reason why I'm going over these very basic things again is because I want to understand that this is the most powerful thing you can understand at the soul level. And many of us think we understand it but are not yet really understanding it. So I want to go over it again. This connection, historically, I called it the Holy Spirit. The reason why in the first century I called it that, and that's what most celestial spirits now call it, is because spirit, meaning a force that is connecting two things together, and the reason why I called it the Holy Spirit, it was, it was the only force that God has that actually transmits divine love into your soul. From a scientific perspective, what actually is going on is you're getting pumped full of love when this connector is connected. Does that make sense? From a, from a love perspective, which is actually a higher perspective than any scientific perspective, what's actually happening is God's emotion of love is entering you via this connection. And that's why we often call this connection the spirit of truth. Right? It's not actually the tr- truth, because God has other spirits 
But in the sense, the Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth in the sense that without truth, the Holy Spirit can't connect. In other words, you have control of the connection based on how much truth you're in. And I mean how much divine truth you're in. And I don't mean how much intellectual truth you're in. I mean how much emotional truth you're in. Now, they are two totally different things. You see, often what we can do intellectually is that we can believe one thing and emotionally we can believe totally another thing. How many of you in the past have been in, a, in a, say, a Christian faith? How many of you have been in a Christian faith in the past? Like, good, three-quarters of the audience. Okay. How many of you, when you were in that faith, believed in hellfire? Like, you thought you believed in hellfire? Like, quite a few. How many of those same people, when you really think about it now, you never really believed it? <laughs> like, does that make sense? Like, because it, oftentimes we say we have a belief here, but it never actually entered here. So many of you never really believed in hellfire, even when you were practicing a religion that believed in it. Does that make sense? Now, how many of you actually have heard of the Trinity? You know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Yeah? Okay, how many of you actually believed it to be a truth when you were in the religion you are in? Right? Far fewer. Does that make sense? So obviously what we have in our head and what we actually feel are two totally different things, aren't they? And often I ask, I ask people the same about like animals. How many of you feel it's okay to eat meat? Now most of us at some stage in our life probably felt it was okay to eat meat, right? And yet, how many of you have personally killed a lamb? Or personally killed, like who's personally killed a lamb? In the whole audience, two, three people. Right? Only those people really know what it feels like to do it. Does that make sense? The rest of us get somebody else to do it for us, which distances us emotionally from the act. Can you see that? If we actually had to go and do it personally, don't you think we'd have a lot more emotions about it than we probably have? So you can see how sometimes our belief system, so our intellectual belief is it's okay to eat meat, but when you go and try to kill the animal, let's see whether you still have that same intellectual belief. Does that make sense? Because there's a feeling in you, feeling, oh, this is terrible, you know, this is bad, and that feeling starts coming out. It's the same with all of these truths. Unless the truth enters you emotionally, it's not really a part of you. Can you see that? If it's just an intellectual concept for you, then it doesn't change your life and it's not a part of you yet. When the truth becomes an emotional concept for you, it will actually absolutely transform your existence. And this is the primary, this is the highest truth you will ever receive. And when I say ever receive, I'm not saying that down the track in the future there'll be some other truths that are even higher than this, because that's a possibility. But from from where I'm standing right at the moment, my feeling is everything else is based on this one truth. So whether we even receive another truth from God, which might be something to do with another quality of God sometime in the future, it's all going to be dependent, firstly, on whether we've received this one, the divine love. So from my perspective, it is the highest possible truth that you could ever connect to emotionally. But most of us are not connecting to it emotionally. Most of us are connecting to it as a concept, 
but yet to really let it feel, let ourselves feel the connection that we have between ourselves and God on a moment by moment basis. In other words, it changes our entire life because most of us are afraid for whatever reasons. Might be we're afraid of our friends and what they'll say and think. We're afraid of our family and what they'll say and think and so forth and so forth. We're afraid of society and what they'll say and think. You know, oh, we can't do that. It's not practical to connect with God, you know, every single day, all day because at the end you've got to go to work. But you see, we're not understanding yet. The truth is that when you connect with God and you're permanently connected to God, your law of attraction is so powerful, you won't have to work. You know, you'll be able to actually grow a tree right in front of you and pick the fruit and eat it. Like, you don't have to do anything to do it. This is what happens in the spirit world. Why can't it happen here? Right? So, so the truth is that God has all of these wonderful things planned for your soul, but they're all dependent upon your development in divine love. That's what they're all dependent upon. And the development in divine love is dependent upon how much you're willing to live in truth how much you're willing to live not in your truth but in God's truth at the emotional level. Not here, but in your heart, in truth. All right, so what I started to describe to them on that mountain was this connection that God wants to have with you at the soul level. And the connection was about your emotions and passions and desires being influenced by this connection so much that it transforms your life. And after I had that talk, the average person who was present at that talk that I gave on Mount Tabor never prayed for the next six months. In fact, the majority of the disciples that I knew, the male ones in particular, um, never prayed the entire time I knew them. Even though I spoke of prayer as the primary thing to do and, and demonstrated how to do that. So that's why when I passed, and uh, many of them weren't in the development. It was only after then, when they started feeling their emotions, they started understanding some of the things that they started to actually have that longing for God. Uh, Peter, if we just get the mic for the questions, though. You need to turn on. Right up. AJ, when you were saying they never, they never prayed at all, was that they attempted to pray and it was uh, it was unsuccessful or that they had no desire to even attempt it? For, for many of them, there was no desire to even attempt it. They, they loved all the... They, they were like most audiences. They loved all the metaphysics. They loved the healing. They loved all of those things. But they didn't get this personal... They didn't get why I could do those things and why they couldn't. Does that make sense? And it was because of this connection with God. But for others, what it was is they attempted it, but they attempted it from their intellect all the time. You know, it's like, and then after a while they became very downhearted because nothing was happening. Because, to be honest with you, every time you pray to God in your intellect, it rises this high. Just the same height as your head is, right? <laughs> it doesn't go anywhere else because your heart's not involved and it's your heart that God feels and hears. So for many of them, not, there were a few who prayed, like the Apostle John, for example, prayed. And so by the time I passed, John was one of the most developed persons on earth, aside from my soulmate, because he learnt to have that longing. So, so you're saying that after you gave them that talk, they were, they were inspired to, to pray, but 
they didn't grasp what that meant, and so it was. And many weren't they even didn't inspired succeed. because they felt the, many weren't even inspired because they felt the same way that many of you do. Oh, here we go again. It's all just religion now. It's all just like God stuff, you know. I'm not interested in that, you know. That's how many of them went. So, you know, they were so interested in all the other things, but the primary thing that I was teaching that that was the thread through every single illustration I ever gave was often neglected. Now, I'm not saying all of them did that, but I'm saying the majority of them did that. So why do you think that was? Couldn't they grasp it? it, Didn't you explain it properly or didn't they know how to make the step? How many of you feel that God is real to you, really honestly? So it's about half. Now, how many of you feel that every moment? that God is real to you. So now we're getting down to like in the tens. Can you see the re- how many of you actually live your life every single day like God is real to you? What does that mean though? Well, that means that every single thing that happens to you, you think about your relationship with God and how it affects you. See, that doesn't happen very often. Is it all or nothing? Uh, yeah. How many of you felt like, ugh, when you heard that, when I said yes? Unless you get to that point, you're nowhere. No, you're not nowhere. Because remember, every single time you learn a new truth and you you feel about new truths, you're expanding your soul. You're not nowhere. But until you actually understand that your relationship with God is the most important relationship you will ever develop any single time in the universe, until you understand that, at the soul level, at the emotional level, then you're not yet getting the divine path. Does that make sense? How do you get to that point? Only by developing desire. And we'll talk, the prayer is about developing desire. So when we talk about the prayer in more detail in a minute, you'll see that it is about developing desire and understanding what's going on within yourself and how God connects to you. So that's what the sample prayer is really all about. So my suggestion is to allow these desires to build and develop. Now, for many of us, we start, like you hear the, many of you heard the information 18 months ago about, about connection with God, right? But many of you are feeling really frustrated still, hey, about the connection not happening for you. It seems to be happening for some people, but, but obviously for many of us, not happening. Now, there's a lot of reasons why for that. Next week, we'll be having a talk about emotions of self-deception. And there's, there'll be a whole big area there where, where you're preventing your connection with God that we'll talk about. So the key is to understand those things. But the primary understanding that needs to get to us at the soul level is this understanding that God loves you. God is a real person, a real being who loves you. God is going to be, for many of you, the closest relationship you will ever have. And when you have God as your closest relationship, every other relationship will be enhanced because of that relationship. Right? Your relationship with your soulmate, for example, will be enhanced. If you think about it, for any person who doesn't have that, they can only progress to the sixth sphere of the spirit world. In the sixth sphere of the spirit world, there is no soulmate union. You are together with your soulmate, experiencing life with your soulmate, but it's really not much difference to, it's much more enhanced, but it's not much different to spending time with a person that you love here on earth in a, in a sexual union, right? What we're talking about in the soul union state is the 22nd sphere state. So there's huge progression that needs to occur between those two states. And that state, the two of you are one, like in all things. 
Now, those two states are vastly different and that comes about from your relationship with God. Nothing else. Nothing else can give you that other than your relationship with God. Now, in the first century I said, all these other things will be added to you if you develop your relationship with God. So every single thing that you're worried about right now, like many of you might be worried about where to live, like how much money you have, you know, what kind of relationships you have with all sorts of people around you, what kind of relationship you have with a children, partner, whatever, your, your work situation and so forth. These are worries that bombard you in this world that we live in, right? All of those things will all be sorted out if you put, as number one, this relationship with God. All of those other things will come to you because your, your law of attraction will markedly change as you work through things with God. So many of the things you currently worry about that you think are real are actually not even real. When you're at one with God, you will never even think of them again. Right? And that doesn't mean that you're blank when you're at one with God because it's actually quite the opposite. When you're at one with God, you are, in fact, the most powerful being you can be. But you will not ever have a fear-based thought in your life again. How, how joyous is that alone? AJ, are, are spirits who are perfected in natural love like that as well? Or do they have fears and doubts and worries? Um, certainly they have fears and doubts. That usually, remember, they've used their mind and their morals to develop in love. But sometimes what's happened, and most of the time what has, has happened, is the emotions still are settled underneath the surface. And there is one of the greatest emotions that a six-fear spirit has, and that is one of self-reliance. Self-reliance means that you've got to create everything for yourself, right? Now, many of you feel that feeling of self-reliance so strongly that you know you feel you feel like you know no one's going to help you in life right now. We're, there are many six fear spirits who feel exactly the same. They've enhanced and and developed their natural love. They still don't feel that God loves them. They still don't understand the connection with God. And so they are still really in a state of fear because they can't let go of their own self-reliance. And when you let go of your own self-reliance, that's a huge transition that occurs. And when you let go of that, you start creating far more powerful things because now God can create them with your soul development. God can create them rather than you just doing it for yourself. But do they understand that that's what they actually need to do or are they just asleep to that fact? No, they think they understand. You see, many of, many, many of my audiences even now think they understand, but as yet don't understand. Because we've got the, 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 the words coming in here. Does that make sense? And then what happens is, oh yeah, that, oh yeah, wow, that makes sense to me. Isn't that wonderful? Right? Many of you have had those realizations, right? That makes sense to me. Isn't that wonderful? Wow, yeah. And then go away and tomorrow, do exactly the opposite of what you recognised today was wonderful. Why did you do that? Because there's an untruth inside of you emotionally that is actually driving you that hasn't changed. And it's what's inside of this soul emotionally that is the real truth. This is why many of us can be absorbed in this intellectual, uh, intellectual um, simulation of truth, but if it doesn't change me inside of my heart, inside of me emotionally... I will never really understand it. 
Now, if I could give you an illustration, you could actually sit down with a man who's a mathematician. I would say it was a man because most men are renowned to not understand love, although I don't agree with that. <laughs> but that's the that's the general opinion of most women, right? <laughs> and then um, he's a mathematician. So most mathematicians are very much in their mind, and they usually that's the thought that most people have. I don't either agree with that either, but that's what most people have. So there's this man who's a mathematician. He's 30 years old. He's never been in love. Right? So if you imagine that for a moment. And you've got to describe to him what love is. How are you going to do that? Now, you might come up with a thousand words, right? And even some pictures. Right? Because the picture tells a thousand words, right? So you might come up with like a hundred pictures, a thousand words or two. And at the end of the day, is he going to understand what love is? No. no. Because he is yet to feel it. He's yet to experience it. You see, with every single truth I've ever told you, unless you're actually experiencing it and feeling it, you are n not yet understanding it like you think you are. Does that make sense? And this very much applies to this. Unless you've actually received divine love, and many of us haven't as yet because we're still working through emotional blockages to receiving love, right? So we don't really notice the reception of love because it's only coming in in tiny little drips or not coming in at all because there's still these emotional blockages suppressing this love connection. Unless we've actually felt it enter us, we will not understand what it was. Does that make sense? Uh, Jen, if we could just pass the mic across. The... There's another one coming, though. Hey, Joe, I've just been thinking about this, and my concept of God when I was little was the man in the chair and the big white beard, which kind of helped me in a way because it made him real to me. So it made him personal, at least. Yes. Yep. But now I'm thinking, why can't I make him personal to me now? And when you said about trying to see God as your mother and father, I've also tried that. But I've just realised because I didn't have a close emotional relationship with my own mother and father, exactly. that doesn't seem real to me either. So I can't um, connect to him emotionally exactly. using that way. Can you see why I've spent so much time talking about your mother and father injuries? Because really what it's leading us to is this connection with God. You see, if we have injuries with our mother or injuries with our father, or let's make it a little more wider, in its, if we have injuries with the opposite sex or injuries with ourselves or the same sex, any of those injuries affect your relationship with God. And that is going to continue that way. And this is where we need to start, right at the start of our development, at the start of receiving divine love, the greatest quality that we need is a quality of faith. Now, I'm not talking about some religious thing again, right? What I'm talking about is a quality that's inside of you that you can develop, right, that every single person has is able to develop, and that's this quality where we can actually believe something's possible without yet knowing it. Do you understand what I mean by that? So there, for many of you, on a purely physical point of view, you can see how that might occur. For instance, the Wright brothers, who you know got the first plane off the ground in a documented sense, right? They had a belief in something that very, very few other people had, and that was that they had these theories, right? That they felt inside of them were truths. They just couldn't couldn't work out how it worked, right? 
And then they, after a while, they worked out that if I do, if I design this wing just like this, and it creates a vacuum, they could start understanding the science of it, and then it started, it'll create lift, it'll have lighter top underneath, and actually the amount of lift would be, and actually we could get above gravity if we did that. Then they started to put that into practice, and when they did the first flight, their, their faith was proven to be reality. Does that make sense? That's what happened to them. And to be frank with you, every single scientific development in history has had this process, where the person at the start had faith in something that very few or no one around them had any faith about. The reason why you can fly right now is because somebody had faith. The reason why you can watch telly right now is because somebody had faith. And the reason why you can do all sorts of these technological things you can do right now is because somebody before you had some faith. They had some faith, and if we define the faith as they felt something to be true inside of themselves that nobody else around them thought was true and that they personally couldn't prove to be true at that time. Now, why is that quality so important with God? It's because many of us don't have a good enough concept or an accurate enough or scientific enough concept of God to even understand God's existence. So what we're going to do, and we don't even have enough understanding that God would actually have love even sometimes. So what we've got to do is start having some faith. And what that faith needs, to, the faith that needs to develop that if there is a God and if this God cares and if this God wants to connect with me, can you please give me some of your love? That's the faith that will motivate that first connection. So there are many spirits with us today who have no faith in God whatsoever or no faith that God is actually a God of love. right? And that's what they need. They need to at least allow this quality of faith to develop. Just like any person in history has had to allow the quality of faith to develop before a new invention came along. It's the same principle exactly the same principle. It's not a religious principle, it's a principle of life. The, the only way the human race has developed is by somebody having faith about something and then they made it. Right? If I imagine God to be the parents that I always wanted to have, yes. then I could, I could create emotionally yes. the God that I could connect to. Yes. Now, now you have to be aware that that concept may have to change as God actually tells you about herself. But in the initial phases, if, even if you just say to yourself, all right, what would I want as an ideal parent? And then you start conceiving God as that ideal parent. And then when you start longing for that ideal parent's love, see what happens. It's a scientific experiment. If you feel like you're receiving love, you'll know it, right? Now, many spirits in the spirit world can actually see the connection. It's a there is a physical connection that occurs between God and them. There's actually an energy stream that gets set up. The Holy Spirit is, a, is an actual energy stream. You could think of it like if you want to make some kind of... This is not true, but if you can think about it as some kind of concept, like a little wormhole coming from somewhere to a person, this little cord coming. In the spirit world, you can actually see it coming when the person actually has a desire or a longing, a pure longing for God's love. Now, the problem we have here on earth is you can't see that. All you can do is feel it. And Now, when I say it's a problem, I don't really believe it's a very big problem 
Because at some point, you've got to start trusting your own feelings. Does that make sense? At some point, when are you going to do that? Might as well start with this one. Start trusting the feeling of love entering you from God. Does that make sense? So what I'm saying is, see God as the most ideal being you could ever perceive with regard to love. And then start projecting at that being the feelings that you want to have a relationship with them. That's what prayer is. That's what I was talking about with this group of people in the first century and that's what I've been talking about ever since. The reason why, it's such a simple concept, right? It's such a simple concept a child can understand it and yet the majority of people think it's far too simple so I'm not going to do that. I would rather go along to a mediumship class for three months talking about how to talk to a spirit and I'd rather do this and I'd rather do that and I'd rather do this other work and you know, be involved in all these metaphysical things than actually develop myself with love. What I'm suggesting is do the opposite to that. Focus on your love development first and let everything else slide. Because as you develop your love, your joy will increase, your wonder will increase, everything will increase if you focus on the love first. Does that make sense? Karen, thanks. <coughs> and microphone. <there. laughs> If I have plenty of faith that God can love, but no faith that God can love me, that seems to me to produce a block that God can't get past. Exactly, it does. We'll talk about that block in a minute uh, as part of the prayer. What Karen was saying is that if I have no faith that God can love me, but I have faith that God can love, then obviously I am blocked from receiving that love. And there's good reasons why, actually, Karen, why I'm blocked into that circumstance, under those circumstances, and we'll talk about some of them when we read the prayer itself. Yep. Jen? Um, I had to really admit that I was really angry at God. Yep. Admit it to myself first. Yep. And then in admitting that I was really angry at God and well vengeful and raging at God, um, then I had to come to a point where I wanted that to change but didn't know how to. Yep. And then from there, I was drowning in that for a long time, yeah. hanging on to it. Yeah. And because that's all I'd really known. Yeah. For many of us, when we hear the term God even, we shudder. You know, how many times did that happen in your life before? You know, you start hearing someone talking about God even, and you're starting to get into panic. Oh, cult, or oh, this, or oh, that, whatever. You, you know, there's all these fears all rise, just even hearing the term God. So, you know, what kind of emotions do we need to deal with first before we can connect to this being who wants to give you her love? So, from then, I had to admit to myself that. It was actually really God that I was really angry at yep. for everything that had ever happened to me. Yep. And then to my... So you had to start getting into truth. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was really surprised, really, really surprised because I didn't have an understanding at that point yeah. that the desire that I had in my heart, because I'd never done it before, yep. I'd never really longed to such a deep level, but I didn't know I was. Yeah. Um, so we, we can actually be in a religion for years 
and actually in that religion really feel a deep rage with God, right, for all that time. And then all of a sudden someone comes along and says, oh, you're actually angry with God. You know, that anger with God all that time we were in the religion meant that we weren't probably receiving divine love during that time. Even though we probably went to a church or went to some kind of talks and talked about it and, and, you know, you feel the buoyant spirit you feel about it, hearing about it, but because of that blockage, the emotion doesn't get received. So we'll talk about all of those emotions in a minute, actually, when I'll go through So then I was so... Um, keen not to believe that I was worthy um, of having God touch my soul. Yeah. And when it actually happened for the first time, nobody was more surprised than what I was. Yeah. Yeah. That God's actually there, a real being, and loves me regardless of where I'm, I'm at. Yeah. If I simply just admit to myself and then be prepared to just want something different. Yep. Um, yeah, and I mean, I'm still working through all the anger. Yeah. And But it didn't matter that I... It, di- it didn't seem to... Ma- what I'm trying to get at is it didn't seem to matter that I'm still in... Certain lots emotions. Of, lots of anger. Yeah, that's right, that it doesn't. Because, yeah. it, see, see it, it's the truth that matters. It's the truth that controls the connection. So as long as you admit the truth, now a connection can occur. Like This is what most people, what most of us are doing at any one time emotionally is we're denying the truth. And while we're denying the truth, no connection can occur. This is, the, this is why truth is so important. And this is why I've actually presented prayer in the way that I've had. Remember the first discussion about prayer was about it as a physical and scientific possibility. The second discussion about prayer was the discussion of longing for truth. In other words, getting ourselves in alignment with truth because truth means that we can connect to love. Then the third discussion is now the one we're having now, which is, right, let's see how this works with regard to love and let's see how we can start utilising what we've learnt. So let's, let's do that now. What I would like to do now is actually read through the prayer, which is on the last page. And what I'm going to do after I've read through the prayer is I'm going to go through it again, step by step, to show you the principles that the prayer highlights and we'll discuss them. So the prayer is our father, or you could say our mother, if you, if you prefer that, or my parent who's in, heaven, in the heaven. We recognise that you are all holy and loving and merciful and that we are your children and not the subservient, sinful and depraved creatures that false teachers would have us believe. We know that we are the greatest of your creations and the most wonderful of all your handiworks and the objects of your great soul's love and tender care. Now, can you see already there's quite a lot of emotions that we'd have to work through to even feel that? Does that make sense? We know that your will is that we become at one with you and partake of your great love which you have bestowed upon us through your mercy and desire that we become in truth your children through love and not through the sacrifice and death of any of your creatures. We pray that you will open up your souls to the inflowing of your love and that then will come your Holy Spirit to bring into our souls this, your divine love in great abundance, until our souls are transformed into the very essence of yourself and that there will come to us faith 
such faith as will cause us to realise that we are truly your children and one, of, and one with you in very substance and not in image only. Let us have such faith that will cause us to know that you are our Father and the bestower of every good and perfect gift and that only we ourselves can prevent your love from changing us from the mortal to the immortal. Let us never cease to realise that your love is waiting for each and all of us and that when we come to you in faith and earnest aspiration, your love will never be withheld from us. Keep us in the shadow of your love every hour and moment of our lives and help us to overcome all the temptations of the flesh and the influence and the powers of the evil ones who so constantly surround us and endeavour to turn our thoughts away from you to the pleasures and allurements of the world. We thank you for your love and the privilege of receiving it and we believe that you are our Father, the loving Father who smiles upon us in our weakness and is always ready to help us to, and take us into your arms of love. We pray this with all the earnestness and sincere longings of our souls and trusting in your love, give you all the glory and honour and love that our finite souls can give. Now, what I would like to do is talk to you about the principles that are here, emotional principles that are here. But before I do, I'd also like to talk about what divine love does to you so that you've got an idea of what it was going to do to you if you decide to receive it. What, the soul, what happens when the divine love flows into the soul through the, the connector, if you like, the power point, if you like, of the Holy Spirit, is that the soul begins a process of getting larger and expanding. Now, the way the soul expands is that it expands emotionally primarily. So what that means is that your capacity to experience emotions and passions and desires expands and it continues to expand exponentially. So what that means is that every time you, trans you go into a new sphere of love, what's happening is your soul has just expanded in its power to actually give and receive love and in its power to do everything else. So let's say you are a medium right at the beginning of this process. You can talk to spirits. As your soul is expanding, your soul now has this capacity to talk to spirits ten times better than you did before. And then as it expands again, it's a hundred times better than it was before. And as it expands again, does that make sense? If your gift is music or if your gift is art or if, whatever your gifts are, as your soul expands, your, gift, your ability to do these things will also expand. Right? The soul itself has an infinite capacity to expand but only under one condition and that is that it receives divine love. If the soul doesn't receive divine love, the soul cannot expand beyond what it was originally created as, which is a normal being, a normal human. And that's why any person who doesn't receive stops in their progression at the sixth sphere of the spirit world. It actually ceases to progress beyond that, to, because to progress beyond the sixth sphere, your soul needs to expand. And the only way your soul can expand is by divine love entering the soul. Does that make sense? It's the divine love entering the soul that transforms the soul into a new creature. It changes the way the soul works. When you started, when you were first born, you could say that you were just a normal man or woman, a normal person, right? at the soul level. I'm not talking about what you physically look like. 
I'm talking about at the soul level, which is the real you, you're just a normal soul, a normal person, the way God created you to be. By the way, that is a pretty amazing place because that's the sixth fear location place that was originally created. And so that's an amazing place to be. So I'm not decrying the amazing capacity of the soul in its normal state. But what I'm saying is that as soon as the divine love starts entering the soul, you now become abnormal. Right? In a good way. The way you become adult is your soul now has the capacity to experience emotions far more than it did before. And the more divine love you receive, the more capacity the soul has. As you receive divine love, your soul physically is changing. And this is a scientific fact, by the way, that we'll later at one point we will actually prove it to you from in the 22nd sphere state is the only place you can prove this, by the way. So all other states until the 22nd sphere state, you cannot prove that this actually happens to the soul because you can't see it happening to the soul. But when you get to the second sphere state, you can actually see a soul. And when you get to that state, you will see the soul expand and it will be proven to you that it's a fact. Does that make sense? Yeah? I think it's um, you partly explain why I feel like I'm going insane sometimes because the soul is expanding. Yep. Um, can the soul actually shrink? You know, like in the example. Yes. Of yes, totally. Every single time you do something that is not in harmony with love, your soul shrinks. Right. This is how the hells were created, because the souls shrinked and shrinked and shrinked and shrinked until they were creating hardly anything at all, which was the darkest locations of the spirit world. Yes, your soul can shrink. And in fact, for many of us on earth, we start out when we were just a newborn babe in quite a good state, and then our soul begins shrinking because of all the decisions that are made for us by our parents and the shutdowns emotionally, and then we make a lot of decisions, and, and our soul shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. And to be frank with you, there are many persons who pass in the spirit world who believe they don't even have a soul at all because they can't even feel a single emotion. Right? Uh, no, it can never come out of existence as far as it is known, right? So it can shrink to an almost infinitesimal tiny print prick, if you like, but it can't actually go out of existence. And it, it can grow from that point to this huge expanded place as well. So in the pageant messages, there are many messages of people who are in the hills who have said that their soul feels like it's shrunken or shriveled up. In fact, there's a message there from Nero, you know, the Roman Emperor Nero, where he said his soul was a shrunken, shriveled soul. And it began to expand once he started receiving divine love. So yes, your soul can shrink and your soul can expand. So as your soul expands, it's now the only way it can expand is by receiving divine love, right? Now, when I say the only way it can expand, I mean above the natural state, which is above the six-sphere state. So obviously our soul can expand to the six-sphere state if it's a shrunken soul here on earth, and then it expands. We can expand to the six-sphere state without receiving divine love. right? But that six-sphere state is actually your natural state. That was the state God originally created you in. right? And it can only grow above that state as divine love enters the soul. So divine love has the operation of changing your soul in so many ways. It also changes the way you interact with your body. Now, 
right at the moment, your soul has complete control over your body. You know, you think you have control over your body with your mind, but that's not true, actually. You, know, you try it. How many of you have gone on diets and not lost weight? Why did that happen? If you had control over your body with your intellect and with what you were pumping into it with food, why did you not lose weight? Well, something else was going on. It's because your soul has control over your body and it's your soul's emotions that determine whether you lose weight or whether you put weight on. Does that make sense? How many of you have got a disease and, and then you've gone down the track of trying to change all these physical things and you still have the disease? Like that happens all the time on earth, doesn't it? We die of diseases like that, where we've done this, done that, done this, done that, and we still degrade in our physical sense because we're not understanding one truth, and that is you don't have intellectual control over your body. The soul controls your body. The soul is your feelings, your emotions, your inspiration, your passions, your desires and longings and all those things. That's what's in your soul. That has control over your body. That even has control over every word you speak, every action you do, every accident that happens to you, every thought that ever goes on in your mind, all goes on because of something happening at the soul level. So it makes sense then that if we develop this thing, everything else will develop, doesn't it? If we understand that truth. And again, these truths can be proven. All you need to do is put into practice the truths and see whether, they are, whether it turns out to be true, whether your capacity expands. So in other words, let's say I was, I was a medium and I decided, all right, instead of going to all these mediumship classes and all these metaphysical things and all that, what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to just develop in divine love and then see what effect that has on your mediumship. So that's a, that's a verifiable thing you can do in your own life just to prove whether it works or not. You can prove it with your law of attraction. You can prove that there is this thing called law of attraction. Quite simply, by saying, all right, if I do what AJ says and focus on the soul creating my law of attraction, right at the moment I've got no money. So there's an emotion in me creating that. So what I'm going to do is instead of trying to go out working and get more money and do all the things I would normally do, what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to focus on releasing this emotion from my soul that causes me to feel the way I feel about money. Now you can do that and then see what happens after that, can't you? It's verifiable you'll be able to see that. If you change nothing else, you'll be able to just change the soul's emotions. But the way you do that is by experiencing them. But then as the soul receives divine love, we're now getting away from this soul's normal capacity to experience everything, and we're now becoming this abnormal. I would call it actually a supernormal soul. Right? In other words, the soul now has this abilities that we never had before. And when you get into a state of at one with God, which is the transition between the seventh and the eighth sphere of the spirit world, this abnormality becomes very pronounced because now you have a connection with God 100% of the time, sleeping or awake. Now in that state, that is a state where you can create amazing things because now your soul has expanded literally thousands of times in its power to create. Right? This is how one soul in the first century created all the changes in the last 2,000 years that happened. Right? Because of the soul's power to create. Even though there was no telly, there was no videos, there was no worldwide communication, right? 
But all of you have heard of me, right? <laughs> right. Why? Because the soul has the ability, the power to create that. One soul, your soul, has the ability to create that. This is not. This is applies to every single person on this planet and every single person in the spirit world. Your soul has this ability and power to, of immense creation. Now. That only happens through the operation of the divine love flowing into the soul. So it's important to understand it's the divine love flowing into the soul that actually creates this expanding soul, that actually it creates this expanding love that you will be able to reflect to others, that will be far beyond the normal love that you would ever be able to reflect to others as a normal soul, as a normal person. Because it's actually not your love. It's actually God's love flowing through you and out to others, obviously. Can you see how the soul is transforming you? The soul also has, the, sorry, the divine love is transforming you. The divine love also has the operation of actually f focusing on every single untruth that exists within you. So absolutely every single thing that you currently believe is going to be confronted in this process. <coughs> you will half the time not even know who you are anymore because you have some very, very tight concepts in your mind of who you are which are not true and you will start losing all of those concepts about who you are when you progress as the divine love enters you you will also have this infinite capacity to give. Obviously, when I say infinite, it's going to be very finite for your soul depending on how much divine love you've received. But in the end, because we have this infinite capacity to expand, we also have an infinite capacity to give when we're in this state of infinite expansion. Does that make sense? I hope that made sense, but it didn't make much sense to me either. Um, <laughs> What I'm trying to say is that if your soul can expand in an infinite way, then obviously your capacity to give is also potentially able to expand in an infinite way. Does that make sense to everyone? And so, so at the moment, so spirits in the sixth sphere still have energy going out of them and they feel depleted at times, which is a normal thing because we've got energy going out, we've got to recover our energy. As the divine love flows through us, we have more and more capacity to give without actually being depleted. And we get into a state where we also can forgive instantly. So how would that be? Instead of something that happens to you, somebody comes up and actually shoots you, right, in the leg, let's say, and you actually instantly forgive them. So in other words, you don't actually have an emotion of anger or resentment or anything about what they've just done. You imagine being in that state. Like That's a pretty powerful, joyful state, isn't it, to be in that nothing negative that can happen to you will actually feel like it's harmed you. That's what the divine love does for you. Right? Now there is literally, and I've listed on the first page of the discussion, um, lots of things the divine love does. So under the section of what the divine love does to the human soul, I've actually listed a lot of the things that the divine love does to the human soul. And, I've, and there's a few there that I haven't mentioned either. But what is happening to this soul is it's becoming so sensitive to everything around it. 
So the reason why I can feel many of your emotions and I can, I even can actually hear many of your thoughts is because the soul becomes more and more and more sensitive. Does that make sense? This is your soul. Your soul will do the same as you receive divine love. There's no different with, it doesn't matter about the person. What matters is receiving divine love. All of a sudden you'll get all of these different things happening to you because your soul is expanding in its sensitivity and its emotional expression. Its ability to love is going to grow. And obviously our joy is directly proportional to the love that we have within us. So obviously the more love we have, the more joyful and happy our life is going to become as well. That is also a part of this receiving divine love into the soul. Does that make sense to everyone? Can you see the advantages of doing it? (laughs) A few of which I've mentioned. Okay. Now, the reason why we need to look at advantages of doing something oftentimes is because we forget. And when you're in the throes of your own emotional experience and you're working your way through some really deep and dark negative emotions, there is this tendency that we have to forget why we're doing it. And the reason why we're doing it is because we want to be closer to God and receive more love and be able to express more love to others. That's why we're doing it. And our soul has this beautiful ability to grow. In fact, once we're at one with God, the divine love creates this state of at one with God, we go through this process called the new birth. Now, it's not a religious experience, although some people would call it a definite like way out there experience. It's not a religious experience, or religion isn't involved in it, but it's a process where your soul has now been transformed so much that it's now longer, now no longer the normal person, it's the supernormal person, right? the abnormal person. And what actually happens in that state is your mind now ceases to really operate as the controlling force of you. Now at the moment, for all of us, the mind is very dominant and controls a lot of our actions and a lot of our responses, right? But the more we progress in divine love, the less that happens until we get into this state where the only thing that happens is what we feel. We do exactly what we feel at every single moment. Which means you don't have to think of anything at all. Does that make sense? That's also what the divine love does in transforming your soul. It gets you to the place where you don't have to think at all and everything that you create is automatically harmonious with love and based on your complete desire. And your thoughts just come bang, 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 right from your soul. It's like you feel like, um, how can I describe it? <laughs> it's hard to describe it to someone who, like, like obviously it's something I've experienced in the past and I'm not experiencing now as much and the, the, the difference is terrifying to me sometimes, like how much... I think about something when, if I was just feeling in the soul, I'd be creating all of these different things all at once, which is what my state is that I'm used to. So if you can just picture that, that every single thing you feel creates instantly around you. So you feel hungry, you have food right there. Right? You feel like you want to um, visit somebody in Canada. You feel it and you're there. There's no delay between those two experiences, the feeling of it and you being there. Imagine that state. right? 
That's the state of at-one-ment with God. You feel something and you're there. There's no break in between. There's no delay. Everything gets created instantly as you feel it. So you will actually, and you'll notice this more and more as you progress on the divine love path even before that state. You'll have a feeling and then all of a sudden something will happen. This happens to me quite often now, like where I have a feeling, oh, I'd like to talk to so-and-so, you know, and they ring me up. All right? That also probably happens to you at times, right? That, that is already happening. So you imagine your soul's ability to expand more and more and able to create that constantly. You know, everything around you being created like that. The soul has this wonderful abilities that are only, only activated by divine love. You know, have you ever done anything with resins? Uh, I don't know if many of us probably haven't. But the principle of a resin is that you have a resin and then you have a catalyst. The resin is like a liquid that you pour into something. And then when you add the catalyst, the resin goes hard. Like the resin is the, is the substance that transforms, sorry, the catalyst is the substance that transforms the resin into a totally different state, right? So, you know, there are lots of different products that man makes based on that principle. You know, like even things like Araldite, how many of you have used that? You've got two chews. One of them is the catalyst for the other one gluing. And you could think of the divine love as the catalyst for all transformation that will occur in your life. Right? Divine love is that catalyst. Without it, you will only ever be the resin. You will only ever be one state. With the divine love, you'll be completely transformed into another state. Peter? You were saying before about how spirit in the sixth sphere can travel to any place and manifest anything they want and uh, basically are in a state where they can um, just do anything that they desire. Yep. So but how, their how desires do, are very limited, Peter. How do they get? How do they get beyond that state into the state of, of feeling and creating um, the way you were just describing? That only by by receiving divine love. When they receive divine love, the fir- one of the first lessons they have to learn is a lesson of truth. So most spirits in the sixth sphere then have to regress and go back to the third sphere and learn the lesson of truth. And we've talked about the lessons of truth in past discussions. I think it was in the past discussion we had about longing for truth. So so almost every sixth-sphere spirit who has not received divine love will need to go back to the third sphere and begin learning lessons that they didn't learn when they were there the first time. And so they will have to actually regress in their progression and start learning the divine love lessons that they could learn in these different locations. From, from spirits that already know the lessons or from God? Well, both, obviously. Every, all learning comes from God in the end, but, but mostly we learn because somebody else has told us something. And, uh, and then we put that into practice and then we start receiving divine love and that's, in the end, the best way to be taught. But, but often we need to first go through this feeling about the truth thing first. So many of you probably weren't aware in your life in a conscious level that divine love was available to you at your asking at any time. Somebody had to tell you that that was the truth and then you thought about it, you thought, oh, this is worth experimenting with, this is worth, you know, thinking about a bit, this is worth... And then when you start thinking about that, you start putting it into practice and then you start feeling it 
and then you can start validating whether it's the truth or not. And that's the exact process that these spirits in the, in the higher spheres of the natural love progression, from the sixth down, need to do. They need to allow themselves to start conceiving, in fact, there is this thing that they believe they know about already, but they've never experienced. Just like the mathematician believes he knows, might believe he knows about love, but he's never experienced it, so he doesn't know yet. And once they get to the state of feeling it, then they will also start living in more truth and they'll start feeling the emotions. Most six-sphere spirits have quite detuned at times from their emotions. So they're very in tune with their emotions about creating new things, because that's fun, but they're very detuned from other emotions, such as their desire for self-reliance, which is an emotion. So they're quite detuned from that. So they need to work their way through those kind of things. Many of us here on Earth do too need to work our way through those things. Are they kind of addicted to um, one aspect of manifestation but not the other? Yeah, yeah. Well, you think about it. If you can create most of the things you think you want, um, you'd be pretty satisfied with yourself, wouldn't you? But if you can't conceive, in fact, that you could be creating it in a totally different way, then you won't know that you can do it. Like, how do you know what you don't know? Like, and every six-fear spirit is in a state of, I don't know what I don't know. I only know what I know. And that's what they put into practice. right? But they don't know what they don't know. And all of us here on Earth are the same. I know it's a sort of a bit of a little stretch to get the mind around that statement. You don't know what you don't know. In other words, you can't even intellectually conceive the things you don't know, right? let alone feel them. right? So a six-fear spirit is in a state of not even being able to intellectually conceive what this state of emotional existence is like because they're only used to this intellectual state of existence. right? They're used to using their intellect, their mind, their morals, developing in love that way. They don't know what they don't know. So what the divine love does is expands your faith. You see, remember I went, just before I said, every single new development that occurred on earth occurred because somebody had faith that this imagined thing could become a reality, right? Well, for many six-fear spirits, they think they already know what the divine love is, so they don't bother investigating it at the emotional level. See, this is a problem for many of us too. When we think we know something and have yet to experience it feeling-wise, we think we can ignore it. Oh, I know that already. You don't need to tell me that is often the response we have, right? But in reality, we are yet to feel it. Like Most of us have heard of the law of attraction, but how many of us are totally focused on what it's doing moment by moment in our life? Very few of us. If we were, we'd be progressing very rapidly. But we're often totally ignorant of what the law of attraction has brought to us at any one moment. Right? Because we don't, we, we automatically think, oh, I know about that. I don't need to learn any more about that. Is this automatic dismissal thing that we have, which also six fear spirits have a ten tendency to have. Does that make sense? So, because they dismiss it all, intellectually or they don't even can, can't even conceive it intellectually, they don't think it exists. 
there's no scientific reason or no scientific basis they feel that they can prove to prove it exists. And so what they do is they don't bother with the experiment. And all the experiment is, if I have a passionate longing desire for the, God's love to enter me, it will enter me. That's the experiment. But I've had spirits in the sixth sphere try that experiment, but they thought they could generate a desire intellectually. So they're there trying with their mind, you know. Oh, I want to receive divine love, I want to receive divine love, and not receiving any, and then they say, oh, no, you're not telling me the truth. And yet in the same group of spirits I might have been talking to, the, some of them understood that it needs to be a feeling, an emotion, and those ones automatically receive it and they automatically move on. Right? So even then it's like this, we're so locked in for a long, long time in our existence generally to this mind being our dominant force. And we've got to get away from that into the emotions being your dominant force. The soul expands emotionally, not intellectually. Uh, I'm no cleverer than I ever have been. <laughs> but my soul is a lot cleverer than it's always, and always constantly growing. Does that make sense? Intellectually, I mean, I'm no cleverer than I ever have been. No question. AJ, is it possible for a, a person to receive divine love without knowing about it intellectually? Yes, totally possible. In fact, the majority of people on earth who have received divine love have received it and not known how they did it. Um, for example, many of you might go along to a, a music or, you know, like a symphony orchestra. How many have been to a symphony orchestra? It's quite a wonderful experience. So you're there sitting there and all of a sudden the, the, the emotion of the music, how many of you have had that experience? The emotion of the music just overcomes you and you just go into this state like of just wonder and, and disbelief really. And how many of you have started to have tears running down your eyes in that state, right? Yep. That you were receiving divine love right then. And how many of you have like sat down with your child and just felt this so overwhelming connection of love that you just cried, right? Yeah, okay, when they're sleeping. <laughs> we'll talk about that one. But uh, <laughs> hopefully when they're awake. Um, and, and what happens there oftentimes is this huge amount of love just causes us to open up and then our emotions just start flowing. And often in that moment we're receiving divine love. Um, how many of you were sort of like members of a, like a Pentecostal type of religion in the past, like Christian type religion? Very few. Okay. There's been a few. And those kind of people often experience when they go to one of those churches, and my suggestion is to go along to one and see whether this happens to you, but just allow yourself to get involved in the music and the feeling of it rather than what they're saying. Because what they're often talking about is like the Trinity and this and that and all these things. You know, you don't need to worry about that so much. All you need to do is go into the feeling, right? Go into the feeling of it. And you will find in many cases you'll feel God's love into you and all of a sudden the tears will come and flow and, and you'll actually feel this sense that you were closer to God right at that moment. Now, most people do that over their life sometime. So many of us have received either a smidge of divine love at some time in our life and there's... It's rare for us to have never received any divine love. But the problem is that we don't understand how we received it. And we didn't even understand what was going on at the moment we received it. Right? And so then we don't replicate that process. 
And what I'm trying to do is describe to you the process of replicating that over and over and over again, which is prayer. That's what it is. It's a longing, passionate longing and desire from your soul. So do we all understand the mechanism? Can you, like, this is a, if you can think of it as the science of receiving divine love, and I know it's been perhaps not that emotional at this point about our discussion about it, but at least we understand the mechanism because all of us are trying to still understand here many times before we actually put something into practice here, right? So, so do we understand the mechanism of what's, what the divine love and how it actually works and how it transforms the soul? Does everyone get that? Right. Now, what we're going to do after a break is we're going to talk about the prayer itself and what type of emotions you're going to be focusing on in order to, to, to feel these emotions of longing for love entering you. Does that make sense? And because the reason why we want to do that is because as, as we understand what emotions are preventing the connection between myself and God, we can begin to deal with each of those emotions on a, in a conscious way. And when I say in a conscious way, I'm not saying in an intellectual way, but rather in an emotional way, but exercising our desire and longing to work through those emotions. Because it's the emotions that prevent our longing from actually, from actually connecting. And it's our longing that drives how much love we receive. Right? So we need to understand that process. What we're going to do now, um, I'm not, obviously, three pages of outline. I have enough trouble covering one page of outline, right? So three pages of outline, I've never got a hope in a million years of covering in an hour and a half or whatever, two hours. So what I'm going to do is just briefly go through some of these things that uh, I want to co connect with you about the, the prayer itself. The reason why is because I'd really like you to focus on the emotional parts of this prayer. So when we look at the prayer itself, the prayer for divine love, the first line of the prayer is, our Father who is in heaven, we recognize that you are all holy and loving and merciful and that we are your children and not the subservient, sinful and depraved creatures that false teachers would have us believe. Now, one of the main things that prevents our connection with God is this internal belief that the majority of us have on the planet today that we are in some way inherently sinful by nature. In other words, that there's something wrong with me. There's just something wrong with me. I don't know what it is, but there is just something wrong with me and God's never going to want to connect with me. That is a huge emotion inside of us that we need to allow ourselves to start connecting with. Does that make sense? It's that emotion, actually, that is like a block the reason why it's like a block between yourself and God is because it's not God's opinion of you. So God's opinion of you is that you're beautiful, radiant, fantastic, wonderful, most awesome creature that God has created. That's God's opinion of you. Your opinion of you and God's opinion of you will match one another when you're at one with God. So in other words, when you're at one with God, you're going to feel inside of yourself that you are this awesome, radiant, fantastic creation of God. Does that make sense? It's not a state of arrogance. It's a state of truth. You are this awesome creature that God has created. You see, God doesn't create anything other than awesome creatures. 
which you happen to be one of. But what happens is this emotion inside of us that, and, and you look at how much religion has played on this emotion, this emotion that you are sinful by nature, the emotion that there is something inherently bad in the human race. Right? These emotions are now a part of us, are now a part of the human race, and it's one of the primary emotions inside of us that prevent our connection with God. So when you pray and long for, to God, long if you can't feel that you are this incredible creature, creation of God, then long for God to show you that you are. Long for God to teach you, and, and God will teach you by helping you release the emotion that's the opposite, of course. So you will need to be willing to feel terrible in the process and allow that emotion to be released from you. You see, also God is merciful and non-judgmental. There's this common belief, and there is there are literally billions of spirits locked in the spirit world in different spheres who still believe that God is a punishing God. So whenever we hear of the term God nowadays on earth, a lot of times what we're hearing inside of us emotionally is this concept of God that is so damaging in our relationship with, with her. We believe that he, usually it is, is this vindictive and punishing and wrathful father. And if you don't do exactly what I say, I'm going to make you pay, right, is what the emotion is that we feel God has towards us. And often when we're going through painful experiences, that's exactly what we feel, that we're actually paying for, like God is punishing us for whatever we have done. That is not true, by the way. So these are untruths that need to leave us emotionally. So it's very, very important for us to start working through a lot of these emotional untruths when we start praying. So you imagine the difference in your feelings. If you could read that first line, our Father who is in the heaven, we recognize that you are all holy and loving and merciful and that we are your children. Right? If you could read that, and actually feel that you are God's child and feel that you're not sinful and depraved, if you could actually feel the feelings of that, can you see how much different you would feel about yourself for a start, let alone feel a much stronger connection with God? We know that we are the greatest of your creations and the most wonderful of all your handiworks and the objects of your great soul's love and tender care. God is better than any human parent. So if you can imagine the very best possible parent you could have ever had, God is, of course, far exceeding that person's qualities. So if that's the case, then God, why would they ever want to punish, why would God ever want to punish you? Why would ever God, why would God ever want to harm you? And why wouldn't God feel that you are the most wonderful thing that she has created? You see, most of the time, it's our own opinion of ourselves that prevents our, our connection with God. Now, like my opinion of myself, like in the first century, my opinion of myself was quite good. When I say quite good, it was, it was as God intended it to be. 
my, what I've experienced in this life is the terrible feelings of not having that opinion of yourself, a good opinion of yourself. And I am still working through those things right now, still working through and, and feeling about those terrible things. Just recently, one of the emotions, I watched the movie The Duchess. Have any of you seen that movie, The Duchess? My recommendation is to watch it, particularly if you're a woman who has a lot of anger issues. It would help you quite a lot, particularly anger issues with the opposite gender. Um, it would help you connect with a lot of those. But I watched this movie and, and I was just gutted by it. Um, and these feelings overwhelmed me of, of how, um, how much I felt responsible for how badly women have been treated over the last 2,000 years. And if you can think of 2,000 years of feeling like women have been treated badly, stuffed into one person, and, and then feeling like you're responsible for the, not undoing that, which is the emotion that I felt, you have some idea of what I was feeling. And a lot of my unworthiness with women, I've found, was linked to that emotion. Does that make sense? Because every time a woman come along, my first feeling was this terrible feeling for them of, oh, it's so sad that you've been hurt so much. Do you know what I mean? And, and not interacting with them in a way that's actually loving because I'm trying to actually overcompensate for all the harm that women have received. And I connected to this harm that my soulmate uh, had received in the first century. She had a very difficult, Mary had a very difficult life in the first century, uh, both before I met her and after I passed. And, and this terrible feelings of responsibility for that um, just overwhelmed me. And I realized that a lot of my unworthy feelings uh, when I w was with women were all about these emotions. So I had to really let myself feel them all and release them. Now, as I do that, as I did that, so I cried for, I think, a couple of hours that night. And as I did that, I could then feel a difference inside of myself about how I viewed myself. Because I've been viewing myself quite terribly when it comes to my relationship with women. And so that, that straight away started relieving that. And I can also, since then, and this only happened a few days ago, um, I can since then feel a stronger connection of joy and a stronger connection of love with God as a result of that. Does that make sense? Just releasing that one or two emotions. So now obviously I've had lots and lots of unworthy feelings to feel with because you know there's been feelings like literally millions of people have died because they've known me. Um, just for that one reason I've had lots of feelings about, you know, how that if you know me, it's bad news. Like So that's all a feeling that I've carried with myself this life until very recently. And so I had to release that emotion as well. And as I release each one of these emotions, my opinion of myself improves. And as my opinion of myself improves, my joy improves, but I can also feel a much stronger connection with God as my opinion improves. So it's going to be the same for yourself. As you connect with different emotions inside of yourself, about how you view yourself, your opinion of yourself will improve and eventually your opinion of yourself will match God's opinion of you. Because at the moment, none of you have God's opinion of you. Here. You might think you do, but here you don't have it because if you had God's opinion of you right now, you would already be at one with God. Does that make sense? So we are not yet got God's opinion of ourselves. So that's a huge impediment to receiving divine love. 
coming to appreciate God's opinion of yourself. And that's going to mean you giving up your own opinion of yourself. For, for some of us, it means giving up this inflated opinion of ourselves. For some of us, it, it means giving up this really negative, disapproving opinion of yourself. Many of us are holding on to these opinions of ourselves for other reasons. And we, next week, when we talk about emotions of self-perception, you'll see what some of those other reasons might be. But we hold on to opinions of ourselves to prevent ourselves from being the grand creation that we already are. We just don't believe that we're this grand creation. So it's been drummed into you by religion and by society and by politicians and by the economic system and by all sorts of means right from the time you were born but also all through your schooling years that if you are a grand being, you think too much of yourself. Hasn't it been drummed into you? What, what do we do in Australia to a tall poppy? We cut him down to size. Why do we do that? Because we want everyone to be, to think as badly as them, of themselves as what we think of ourselves. Does that make sense? It's a huge emotion in the human race that prevents connection with God. Allow yourself to pray about that with God. Long, long towards God to deal with that particular emotion. It's a big emotion that affects how much divine love you can receive. It's been my single biggest issue. I've been dealing with the issue for 12 years now and it's been my single biggest issue. And I've had literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of facets of it. And so my suggestion, you won't have that many, but I'm just saying how deep the issue goes for many of us. It's so deep that it affects our very existence and everything that we can create. Your law of attraction is not operating as well as it could because of this emotion. Can you see that? If I have this feeling that I'm unworthy, what do you think I'm worthy to receive? For many of us, we think we're worthy to receive nothing. Right? So it's a huge emotion that needs to be dealt with in the human race and, and we can pray about and long to God to deal with that emotion. Let's look at the next one. We know that you that your will is that we become at one with you and partake of your great love which you have bestowed upon us through your mercy and desire that we become in truth your children through love and not through the sacrifice and death of any of your creatures. You see, God has this huge desire to be at one with you. As yet, your desire to be at one with God doesn't come near God's desire to be at one with you. Now, because God's exercising this desire constantly, all that is waiting, all that is needed for this thing, this at one process to occur is for your desire to finish up approaching, and it's never going to match, but at least it can begin to approach what God's desire to be with you is. But often what we do with it is that <clears throat> we believe that we come to God through sacrifice. Many of you have come to me asking me questions about sacrifice. If I sacrifice this, will that make me closer to God? If I sacrifice that, will it make me closer to God? You know, if I give up this, will that make me closer to God? A lot of times what we're doing is we're just redoing the same religious message, which is if you subject yourself to God, then you come closer to God. Now, there are literally billions of spirits in the six-sphere state who still believe this. They believe that if they subject their will to God's will, they will become at one with God. 
they actually believe that's what the state at one moment with God means. It, they feel that it means to subject their will. The truth is, what is going to happen to your will is your will will expand. Your will or your desires will expand in their expression as you become at one with God. So in actual fact, you'll be giving up less and less and less and you'll be actually getting what you desire more and more and more. The problem is, though, that often what we desire right now is totally disharmonious with love. So that's the things that we need to learn to give up. But if we understand and we start to understand inside of ourselves, even intellectually, that when I desire things disharmony with love, that's what creates my pain, then I will start understanding the reason for giving them up. You see, every single thing that you need to give up on this path is something that is creating pain inside of you. Does that make sense? Every single thing that you will give up is actually creating your pain. None of it is creating your pleasure. You know, someone uh, recently posted on the internet, I think, uh, that they thought they had to give up sex in the spirit world, right? Because there's no sex in the spirit world. No, why would God want you to give up something that's pleasurable? There's sex in the spirit world. There's just not sex for a lot of people in the spirit world, to be frank. There are literally millions of spirits in the sixth-year state who don't have sex because they believe it's not holy. Does that make sense? They believe it to be wrong, so they don't do it. Yeah. So, so, you know, they, I can feel them come and visit me sometimes after myself and my lover have had sex, right? And I can feel them visit me and they say, you're not Jesus, you just had sex. <laughs> I can feel them do that. Right? They, they won't believe me. For, like, bright body, yeah, no worries. Oh, that's no worries, but you can't be Jesus. You wouldn't be having sex if you were. No, right? Because, because what God, God doesn't want you to give up your desires. God wants you to bring your desires into harmony with divine love. That is what's going to make you the happiest you could possibly be. So if I was going out having one night stands with somebody, then obviously that is going to create pain in my life. It's also going to create pain in everyone else's life who I'm having the one night stands with. And any children that are born from those interactions are also going to experience pain as a result of my actions. But if I bring all of my actions into harmony with God's love, then sex can be at its highest state. Just like every other emotion that you have will be at its highest state when you bring it into harmony with God's love. So for literally billions of spirits, there is no sex. So they come to people on earth saying, there is no sex in the spirit world, hang on to sex as long as you can. <laughs> right? But the reason why they have that reality is because they have these belief systems and emotional systems inside themselves that they haven't released yet that are the truth. No celestial spirit doesn't have sex unless they are alone and their soulmate is not with them yet. Then they don't. Does that make sense? So they have it in purity. Linda would like to ask a question about that issue. I think we're a bit off topic, maybe, but I love this sex issue. Um, AJ, I don't understand how they can have sex in the spirit world because you're a soul. Um, so 
you will find when you have soul sex that it's actually far more powerful than the physical sex act. So the problem with having a body in some ways is that when we're not fully connected with our emotions, our body is quite disconnected from our spirit body and it's quite disconnected from our soul's emotions. When, our, when all of that is flowing, what you will be actually having is not so much the physical response, but you'll have far more powerful emotions and far more powerful physical sens sensations in your soul than what you could ever experience in the physical form. That is still a sexual union. So why do they call it sex then if it's not? Well, that's because we call it sex on earth. So it's we don't. It's know the same it's sensations of orgasm okay, and everything. But it's not a physical. But it's, it's not an emotional because. Yeah, but see, most of most of most of almost everyone in the audience has never had a, this kind of sex. So all that we can do is relate it to a physical response. Does that make sense? No, we don't. <laughs> There's one thing you are never getting a demonstration of. <laughs> never. He's <laughs> uh, a, a terrible man, isn't he? Um, <clears throat> these are things that you will experience on your progression, in your progression, as you release the emotions that block you. So, so remember that we're getting back to the subject of God. God doesn't want you to give up your desires, right? So it's just all of the desires will become what the spirits in the celestial kingdom call holy. Now, holy doesn't mean that everybody is sitting around playing harps, <laughs> singing hallelujahs. That doesn't make you holy, right? No celestial spirit is like that. Every celestial spirit has a great sense of humor, but they are holy in the sense that they truly understand the joys and benefits and the actual connection with God. They feel it. Because they are at one with God, they are also in this state of divinity. So every single emotion that you have will be divine in its nature and it will be at its highest possible expression. And every single emotion that you have right now that is, that is opposite to that will have gone and it won't exist in you. Now, most people on earth then go down the track of, oh, you know, here we go again. He's just talking about utopian crap, you know, like most people, that's how they feel, isn't it? Like they just feel like this is just a utopian dream that mankind has for centuries, never happens. Well, in the future, this will happen if we start to deal with these negative emotions. See, most of us are holding on to all these positive feelings for grim death. Because they're, you know, they're the only joys we experience in our life, right? So we hold on to them, hold on to them, hold on to them, and often they're even gone by now. But we're still holding on to them, you know. Like 25 years ago, that's what happened, and they're still <laughs> holding on to it, right? Because it's just such a joyous experience. So we're holding on to it, but but we don't want to experience everything. What God is going to ask of you in this process of one is to experience everything, and eventually all the things that are negative and painful will be released from you. And all the things that are joyful will be enhanced and expanded in their ability to be experienced. So the process we're going through at now is a bit like the process of having a splinter. Like most of you have had a splinter in your life, yes? Is there no one that's had a splinter in their whole life? Oh, I'm pretty amazed if you've not had a splinter. Wow, you're a very lucky person. I had one a few weeks ago. In fact, I had about 20 a few weeks ago. And, and what, what happens with a splinter 
is a splinter goes in and you might not notice it too much at the time, right? Sometimes. But then all of a sudden you start feeling this irritation, don't you? Your body starts feeling this irritation and you start... And I had one in, in this finger just last week. So, I was, so, you know, I didn't even notice it had gone in there until I looked at it and I, and it was putting the wood in the fire. So, so I'm rubbing this in and the, the splinter is there. Now your body, by this time, it's starting to produce... Uh, a whole series of events goes on in your body trying to get rid of this splinter. They all happen automatically, don't they? Like your body starts producing um, sort of different types of substances that wrap around the splinter to cushion the splinter from your, from your nervous system and so forth. And, and eventually, if you leave it long enough, maybe a year to five years sometimes, <laughs> like, or in some cases 10 years or 15 years, all of a sudden, wow, that piece of metal come out of me. My father said that to me once. He had a splinter in him for 22 years or something. But it, and often that's what happens, right? So, so the splinter comes out of you in a natural way. Well, I'd call that the natural love path. Does that make sense? Now, the divine love path, and, and what happens in that time? You're feeling the pain of it the entire time. But a lot of times it's not just a, like a big pain. It's like this constant irritation and annoyance with occasional bouts of pain when you poke it. Or, or when something bashes into it, right? Then you feel these constant, you know, feelings of pain. Most of the time you can ignore it and get yourself away from it, but sooner or later it keeps coming back to you. That's, that's what sin is like. Sin is like that. Sin is like this constant irritation. A lot of times we don't notice it, but when we bash it, bang, we notice it, just like the trigger happens. Like, the law of attraction brings you a trigger, and all of a sudden now you notice you've got that particular problem that you didn't know before. Driving along the road, fine, driving along the road, I'm not afraid. You know, somebody cuts you off. <laughs> now what's happening is I am, a, you know, I've just had a fear-based response, and now I'm angry at the person who created it. You know, that's when my splinter got touched. Does that make sense? Now, the divine love path is this path of where God just does an incision and pulls out the splinter, right? Now, you can see if God does an incision and pulls out the splinter, you can see that very rapidly all of the effects are all taken away, aren't they? Can you see that? In that one moment... That splinter is taken out. And, you know, you can have a splinter in your finger, can't you, or anywhere else in your body, and the moment you take it out, instant relief, isn't it? That's what it's like. You get this feeling of instant relief. So you have this beautiful feeling of instant relief. Why are you watching her doing that for? <laughs> like, am I not interesting enough? Okay. Thanks, Liz. It affects the, uh, the camera's exposure. Um, so, so if you imagine that God is like doing this little tiny operation on you with your every, every single emotion that's in error. So remember, all sin is, is emotions in error, desires in error, beliefs in error that exist inside of me. So all God's doing is just doing this little incision and pulling it out. Right? That's the operation of divine love on your soul. This is what happens, is it pulls it out and you have instant relief. So that's like the divine love path. You, when you deal at the causal level with an emotion, you will get instant relief. If you're not getting instant relief, then it means you're not dealing with the causal level emotion. Does that make sense? 
Now, next week I'll talk about why we don't get instant relief when we're being emotional, because that's all to do with emotions of self-deception. But what I'm trying to illustrate at the moment is the difference between progressing on the natural love path and progressing on the divine love path. One way is this way where the body naturally, or things naturally occur through law of attraction events and everything, that eventually expels the problem from me. The other way, God's actually doing a decision, pulling it all out, and it's done there and then. I know what I'd prefer, just that little bit of pain taken out rather than this long-term, nagging, irritating pain that goes on for years and years and years and years. Many of our spirit friends with us today have experienced that, like 500 years of that, if you can imagine. You know what? It's, it's hard enough for you to experience one day of pain, isn't it? You imagine 500 years of it. Like as, as Nero said in his channeling in the pageant messages, he could write volumes about the pain. But he said that Paget would never be able to understand it, the extent of his pain. So he let it pass. Right? So a lot of our spirit friends who are here today feel the same way. And what I'm trying to illustrate is how divine love works. Divine love actually can come and take these things out of us, but we need to allow the experience of the cutting open of the wound. Does that make sense? Which is a painful experience. And it's actually the painful experience is the sin entering us and when it gets pulled out. That's the painful experience. So any pain we experience on this state, in, in this state is either through complete denial of our emotions or through this process of having the problem if we can call it the problem emotion, being pulled out of our body, being pulled out of our soul, which is our real body. So if you think about it, if you think about it like that, God doesn't want you to suffer. But because sin has entered us, because error has entered us, we are going to suffer on this, on, on this progression. But our suffering is going to be very short and intense periods rather than this long, long hundreds of years experiences which most people go through. Does that make sense? There's a huge difference between those two states. Let's look at the next one. It says, We pray that you, God, will open up our souls to the inflowing of your love, and then that then will come your Holy Spirit to bring your, into our souls this, your divine love in great abundance. You see, the, opera, the Holy Spirit, a lot of people on the divine love path think that if they receive divine love, that that's what opens up their soul to receiving divine love. But that actually doesn't make much sense when you think about it. Your soul needs to open to divine love by other mechanisms. Once your soul becomes open to divine love, and it's through truth in particular that your soul opens to divine love, once your soul opens to divine love, now the Holy Spirit, which is, remember, that connection of truth between you and God can connect. Now the divine love can flow. And what I've been describing up to now over the last 18 months is the process you'll need to go to to open up to divine love. Does that make sense? What I'm talking about today is how the divine love flows into you. But up until now, I've been discussing primarily what you need to do to your own soul to open up. And part of it is praying to God to help you do that to open up your soul to divine love. Now, what are the things that close down our soul? Well, you think about it, it's all to do with emotional or desire suppression. So when you suppress your desires, 
or when you suppress your emotions, you are closing down your soul. You're not opening up your soul. So you can be praying all you like intellectually, please God help me open up my soul, and right at the same moment be closing down your soul. So is that now a prayer? No, because it's not a sincere desire. So my suggestion is to actually let yourself feel about the fears you have about opening up your soul. Now, we talked about this last night, didn't we, with Paula, and we we were talking about what, you know, many of us make decisions of something we're going to do in six months' time or in 12 months' time, right? So in 12 months' time, I'm going to leave my work and find another job. Why 12 months? Because you're suppressing your desires. Does that make sense? Because when do you think when you're at one with God, you're going to suppress any desire? No. Do you think you're ever going to say, oh, in 12 months' time, I'll do that? No, you'll have a feeling and you'll do it. So why aren't you doing that now? If you're not doing that now, you're suppressing your desire. And no questions for the moment, if I can. You're suppressing your desire and so therefore you're suppressing your soul. When you suppress your soul, your prayer to God is, please, don't open up my soul. Can you see that? So live in harmony with your desires. You've got to, like, if I've got a prayer to God of opening up my soul, then I've got to live in harmony with that. Live in harmony, that means that I notice a desire inside of myself and I do it. Does that make sense? If I know it's in harmony with love, I do it. I don't delay it. I don't put it off for any reason, money or otherwise. You know, fear, friends, family, none of the reasons that we often put on us, don't put it off for that. Allow yourself to follow your desire. When you're in that state, you are saying to God, day by day you're saying to God, I'm open to receive your love. I'm open to experience your love. Does everyone follow that? Let yourself feel those desires and passions that you have that are harmonious with love and act on them immediately. Don't delay them. Don't put them off. Right? And if you not, can't act on them immediately because of some other thing, have a good cry about that because obviously there's an emotion being triggered as to why your law of attraction isn't automatically attracting that. So deal with that emotion, whatever that emotion be. You see, this is the thing is that we need to understand in this section is that, that God has an abundance of love for us and the Holy Spirit can only connect to us when we live in this true state. So we need, many of you have had moments of living in this true state already, right? But most of us don't have it every single moment of our lives because we're compromising so many things. We're compromising on our relationships with truth, with our family, with our friends, with, with people that we meet. But let, like, be honest, how many of you have told your friends that you're coming to listen to a guy who actually says he's Jesus? Right? Uh, so about half. Right? Now, the other half, you're not living in truth. Now, you can say, oh, well, you know, I, all AJ is doing there is putting some emotional blackmail on me to go and tell my friends. I'm not, actually. I'm just saying to you that if I'm not living in truth, then I'm not activating the law of desire in my life. Does that make sense? So it, I'm not saying you have to do anything. What I'm saying is that every disharmony with truth, every cover over of truth that you do, you're actually proving to yourself 
that you're never going to get to the state of living in your desire while you stay in that state. So deal with that emotion. What are you afraid of about telling the truth? Deal with that emotion. Does that make sense? Let yourself experience what you're afraid of. Right? And as you do that, you will release this, the emotion. Notice the next section says, until our souls are transformed into the very essence of yourself. You see, that prayer is telling us what's going to happen to us. If we receive divine love and receive divine love and receive divine love and we continue to do that, eventually our soul will be transformed and we will be like God. In the first century, I'd say to people quite often that they needed to be like God. And they, and, and even religiously today, when people read those words, they go, that's totally impossible. Like, no, it's not. It's not impossible to be like God. Because that's what happens when you receive divine love to the one state, you become like God. You become like God in all of your emotions and desires and passions. That doesn't mean you are God, because you're still God's child, but you become like God in the way in which you express everything. That's what happens to you. And as that happens to you, you will find all your joys will expand and all of these beautiful experiences will expand because of you being in that state. And then I said, that, and that there will come to us faith, such faith that will cause us to realize that we are truly your children and at one with you in very substance and not in image only. You see, the divine love entering you causes you to have more faith that the divine, that God exists. Right? So for many of the spirits who are here today who don't believe God exists or believes God's wrathful, if they just allow themselves to open up to love and open up to this loving feeling that they, and longing, what would happen is God's love would enter them and they'd straight away confront that belief, wouldn't they? But see, a lot of times what happens is that we stay in a belief that prevents us acting and we stay in that state for ages and ages and ages, many times hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, just because we don't want to act. This is one of my major problems at the moment is I am so afraid about how big things will get that I'm trying to keep them at a certain, you know, at a certain level. Do you know what I mean? I'm trying to keep everything at a certain level because I'm afraid that it's going to get really big and I don't think I'm going to cope with that. There's an emotion in me that causes me to feel that. It's just a fictitious emotion. I know that, but it still feels powerful until I release it. Does that make sense? And that's how it is for your life too. Often there'll be lots of these things that are limiting your life and you don't, you're not going to have faith until you stop allowing them from limiting your life and start acting upon the truth and see the change. But we're often so afraid of change. We're often so scared of how good we're going to be. Right? And that causes us to actually step back from practicing the truth. So on the, so the prayer confronts that feeling within us. Then it says, let us have such faith as will cause us to know that you are our Father, that the bestower of every good and perfect gift, and that only we ourselves can prevent your love from changing us from the mortal to the immortal. So firstly, before you experience divine love to the point of atonement, you will not be immortal. What's immortality? Immortality is this gift that God gives when you become at one with her, 
that you can never, ever, ever die. Your soul can never die. Until that time, it is not known whether your soul will die or not. Does that make sense? The reason why it, we only know that the one condition is the condition in which our soul can never die is because to, if we died, then a part of God's love would die. And that's a total impossibility. So after you become at one with God, you are fully conscious of your own immortality. In the spirit world and all through history, many people have been discussing what creates immortality. And there is this constant belief in the New Age movement now that immortality is a given, that your soul is actually immortal from the day it was created. In other words, it can never die. Not that it will never die, but it can never. Like that. But that's not true. The only time you're going to know that for certain, and you'll feel it as an emotion in you, and when you feel it as an emotion in you, do you think you're going to be afraid of death? No. Do you think you're going to be afraid of pain even? No. You won't be afraid of anything when you feel this as an emotion in you. When you feel immortality as an emotion in you, you will feel that you will never, ever die. And you will feel it. And it doesn't matter what happens to you, you will feel that inside of you. Now, can you imagine how freeing that is? Nothing ever scares you after that. Nothing. Not a single thing. Many of you in the future may, may finish up being in front of thousands of people talking to them. Right at the moment, you'd be petrified doing that. Does that make sense? But when you're in that condition, it won't phase you one single bit. It will have no effect on you emotionally. You'll just enjoy it. Does that make sense? Because of that belief entering you. Now, those beliefs enter you because, like, you say, like it says there, that God is the bestower of every good gift. You see, what we don't realise too on, this, on, on the natural love path is that we don't realise that we are God-sufficient. We, we feel self-sufficient. We're not reliant on God, we're reliant on ourselves. Does that make sense? And, and one thing that we realise on the divine love path is actually that's not even true. Every single person in the universe, firstly, is God-reliant, even whether they don't believe in God or not. But on the divine love path, you choose God-reliance right across the board emotionally. So you no longer become afraid of what you're going to eat tomorrow, for example, where you're going to get the next dollar from. None of those emotions will ever, ever pass you again once you're in that state. Right? Why? Because you know God is going to give you absolutely everything you desire that's harmonious with love and surely your own survival is harmonious with love. So you would never even consider your own survival anymore. You think of how many of your emotions right at the moment in any one day or any one week are surrounding you surviving materially. You won't have any of those emotions anymore. And to be frank with you, if you have them now, that means that there's some emotional injuries that need to be worked through. Allow them, let them be confronted and released from you and then deal with them. Now notice the next bit was, let us ever, never cease to realise that your love is waiting for each and all of us and that when we come to you in faith and earnest aspiration, your love will never be withheld from us. Many people come to me and say, look, I've been longing for divine love for a year now and I've not felt it enter me. 
What does that part of the prayer say? If you long for it in sincerity, you will always get it. That's what it says, doesn't it? And that's the truth. So if you have longed for divine love for a year now and not received any, then the truth is you haven't longed for it. Now that's a really confronting thing to cope with, isn't it? Do you see why? Because we think we've put all this effort into it and we've got nowhere. Like, it's a terrible feeling to feel that, isn't it? To feel that feeling that we've got nowhere and we've had all this, what we thought was sincere effort. But we need to come to understand this truth really deeply. God always will give you her love if you have a sincere longing for it. So if I'm not receiving her love right at this moment, then it means right at this moment I don't have a sincere longing for it. Does that make sense Yeah, to everyone? Is there a question about that? If you haven't experienced divine love, how do you know when you've got it? Um, you, and this also applies, there was a spirit prompting you to ask this question, you and every spirit who has never received divine love will know there will be a sensations you will feel and also probably lots of tears you will feel as you receive it. So you will know in the instant that you get it. Right? That's the beauty of it. Now many of you have got it and got it because of what you thought was another reason. Do you know what I mean? Like you were at a music thing, like I was saying earlier. Does that make sense? And all of you had these overwhelming emotions of, oh, isn't it beautiful? Isn't it amazing? You know, this, and, and it projected an emotion in that instant to God and then received some divine love and it made you cry. Now, many of you didn't realize at that moment that you were actually longing for divine love. Does that make sense? But whenever you long for it, you will receive it. And after a while, you'll become very conscious of what it feels like. Right at the start, you're not conscious of what it feels like at all because you've never received it before. But you'll see the pattern generate as you receive it more and more. Is it possible that um, I have potentially received it in the past but I, I didn't know it as divine love? There's a very high likelihood that all of you have received divine love in the past because, it, because you're attracted to this message already. Right? It's very unusual for a person to be attracted to the message and not already haven't received some divine love. So many of you are maybe not conscious that you have because you've had these other experiences which were emotional in your life, times when you were at your wit's end and you were crying and things like that, a lot of times you received divine love then and you attributed it to something else. Now what will happen in the future is you become more and more conscious that you're actually receiving divine love in those moments. In the end, you'll get to a state where you receive it all the time, so you have a constant connection with God, and that's when you're at one with God. Now, that is quite a confronting issue. You see, most people want to hear that, oh, if you've been trying hard, oh, it's lovely. <laughs> Don't you? Like, you know, and if you've been trying real hard for a year, oh, surely, you've definitely received some by now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And uh, this is something we talked about in the Paget messages quite a lot because there is this constant desire that most people have to falsify events in order to cheer people up. And on the divine love path, you won't want to do that. 
right? So, so what we were trying to do with the pageant messages is to describe, in fact, to people the process of receiving divine love and all of those kind of things and to show them that many people believe they've received it when they actually haven't, right? Because they weren't projecting sincere longings at God. Now, let's look at sincere longings. Now, I've said this before to you quite often. Remember, if you have a longing for another person, the person's over here, I've got a longing for them, I make a step towards them, and usually what happens then is that all of these emotions start kicking in, don't they? Oh, how many of you have had an emotion with me that you've come to want to, you want to talk with me, so you start coming up to talk to me, and then you think, ah, oh, ah, oh, like good, good three quarters of you have done this, right? And, oh, 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 no, 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 and you don't, and it doesn't happen, right? So what happened to your desire? At the start, it was pure, wasn't it? And then what started coming up? All right, my suggestion is don't overcome them. Just sit in the chair and feel them. Don't bother talking to me. Right? Don't force yourself to talk to me under those circumstances. This is a law of attraction event allowed, just perfectly placed for you to connect with some emotions of unworthiness. So sit down and feel how unworthy you feel just to even talk to me. Does that make sense? Let yourself feel that emotion. When you feel that emotion, you know what's going to probably happen? I might come and talk to you because the law of attraction will have changed in you. Do you see that? So a lot of times that's what happens, right? Now, we're exactly the same with God. Can you see? Oftentimes we start making a pure connection with God and then all of these things, these emotional things inside of us kick into place. You know, we start feeling unworthy and we start, you know, start feeling like God wouldn't want us anyway and we start going through all of these different emotions. We need to feel them. It is those emotions that prevent our connection with God. So feel them. Don't force yourself to pray under those circumstances. Allow yourself to just like you wouldn't force yourself to come and talk with me if you felt those emotions. Sit with them. Feel them. Feel what's inside of you that's causing you to feel the way you feel. Allow it to be triggered. Just the act of walking towards something often triggers it. So in my case, you know, when I first saw Mary, I was like, and I couldn't, I was, I was, I was saying, she, she often said, she has said to me quite a few times, like, like, why didn't you speak to me? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, because, you know, I was all mixed up and, and to be frank, I had this emotion in me of unworthiness with her. Does that make sense? And, and that emotion got triggered the instant I met her. And so I had to work through those emotions. I had to feel about that. And it's exactly the same in your relationship with God. Like, you need to feel the emotions that you feel that are preventing you from actually connecting. And it would have been really good if I'd felt good about myself and gone up to Mary and picked her up and said, girl, you're mine, you know, like Tarzan style. And, you know, like, I'm sure that would have triggered some of her emotions. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, like, when I look back at it, I would have really liked to have done that. But, um, but you know, it's too late now because I had all of these other emotions which were being triggered, right? And often that's the case with our relationship with God too. We have all of these other emotions being triggered. We need to be truthful and honest and open about them all. All right, so what's next? Keep us in the shadow of your love every hour and moment of our lives and help us to overcome all temptations of the flesh. What would you classify as a temptation of the flesh? 
Yeah, let's define all of these temptations of the flesh. Temptations of the flesh are when your fleshly desires overcome the love that's in your soul and cause you to do things which are, in the end, become painful to you. Does that make sense? So temptations of flesh are when you have these fleshly desires that are in you that are stronger than the desire for love, the pure desire for love in your soul, and they cause all of your pain. Now, for example, a temptation of the flesh is not sex. Right? Sex is not a temptation of flesh in its pure form, but it can be a temptation of the flesh. Can you see why? Because I could have a desire for sex and I don't care whether I love the person or not, now I'm in the temptation zone. Does it, can you see that? And if I act upon that, I'm going to harm myself and the other person. Can you see that? If my desire was in harmony with love, that would be a totally different situation. And this is why a lot of you have got to the part, you know, you're okay playing the field, you know, or um, I was talking um, with Simon earlier, and he was just saying about the, you know, you know, you meet a woman, yeah, let's play, you know, like, you know, there's that feeling. But now that can't happen anymore. That, and you feel like it can't happen anymore once you've received a certain amount of divine love. Because what happens inside of you is, no, I need to have a meaningful interaction. I can't just do this non-meaningful thing, you know, anymore. And so that stops happening. So the temptations of the flesh are these desires and passions and unhealed emotions within us that cause us to act upon fleshly desires. So let's look at how they affect us. All of us love food, yeah? But if I become a glutton and I'm starting to get bigger and bigger and bigger, what's going on? What's going on now? I'm in the temptation of the flesh mode. Can you see that? Right? And let's all of us love to, to, to drink, right? Um, I love to drink water myself, but um, I know many of you still love to drink alcohol. But the temptation of the flesh is to drink more and more and more and more, to become gluttonous with it, and that obviously is going to affect you. So, so just the aspect of what happens to with these, us with these temptations shows us the emotions that we need to avoid. And, and the prayer is saying, saying, please God, help me avoid these temptations of the flesh. So here I am, I'm smoking away, right? There's my temptation of the flesh, right? Why is it a temptation? Because I'm smoking, if I'm smoking, and, it's, and I don't mean to offend anyone who's still smoking, and by the way, you're allowed to keep smoking. Um, I'm smoking, <laughs> right? You're allowed to do anything, you've got free will. So um, you're allowed to kill yourself anytime you want. Um, so, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. So I'm smoking, right? Which is actually destroying a part of my body. Right? It's well known. That's destroying a part of my body, but I'm smoking. Why am I smoking? Because I'm looking for a feeling. What's the feeling? Most of the time when I'm smoking, by the time I get addicted to it, I'm looking for the feeling of satisfaction. There's this feeling of, what is the feeling? The feeling of being calm, the feeling of having something to do, the feeling, you know, whatever the feeling is that's driving me to have the cigarette, right? The temptation of the flesh is, I am using this physical tool to actually avoid the emotion, right? And I'm allowing my body's desire for this physical tool to dominate my soul. So that's what a temptation of the flesh is. Now, 
If I'm doing that, in that moment, I'm actually not praying to God, please help me avoid the temptation of the flesh. Can you see that? Because right at that moment, what I'm saying to God is, give me as many temptations as possible. I love this temptation of my flesh. That's really what I'm saying. Now, you're allowed to do that. God's not going to say, you naughty boy, this lightning bolt for you. You know, God's not going to do that, right? What God's going to do is that God's going to not respond to your prayer because you're not in truth. And you need to be in truth if you're going to receive divine love. So you can smoke and be in divine love. Like you can receive some divine love and smoke, right? I'm not saying that you know you will never receive divine love if you're smoking. Ned Paget smoked. James, like James Paget, who wrote the Paget Messages, smoked. He never got above the third sphere because of it, right? We often tried to address it with him, and unfortunately, a lot of his personal messages weren't included in the Paget Messages, which is sad because we often tried to address the issue with him, but he avoided the issue. He wanted to avoid the emotional reason why he needed this temptation of the flesh. Does that make sense? So what the prayer is doing is addressing these issues. It's saying, why do you want to avoid these things? Why do you want to not deal with those things? They're all blocking your relationship with God. And then the next part says, help us overcome all temptations of the flesh and the influence of the powers of the evil ones who constantly surround us and endeavour to turn our thoughts away from God to the pleasures and allurements of the world. You see, because of our temptations of the flesh, which are to do with our avoidance emotions, spirits surround us who want to utilise those emotions for their own power and benefit. Right? Many of you are experiencing this in your day-to-day life now. When you get on the divine love path in particular, lots of spirits don't like you being on it. Right? And what they do is they scan your body, your spirit body, they can scan really easily and they say, oh, problem there, oh, problem there. Oh, pro-. They don't care about how the good things are. You know? They don't, you know, they don't think about how you've got a beautiful heart and all loving, none of that. Problem there, problem there, problem there. Oh, problem there. This person really wants to have sex with lots of people. I'm going to put that like create that around them as much as I can so that I can connect with their sexual feelings and enjoy some sex myself through them. Uh, Spirits can do that, right? So what they do is they focus in on your emotional injury that you are denying within yourself and then they utilise that injury to their benefit. Now, many of you are not dealing with your emotional injuries about doubts about me. Many of you still have lots of feelings about me. I don't, you don't, I don't mean that you've got to believe on Jesus, but what I'm saying to you, many of you have doubts about my character, right? Many of you feel emotions, right? That are things like, can I really trust him? I don't know if I can trust him. But we've been 18 months together and you still can't trust me, right? Many of you can't trust me still, right? And you feel that I'm like, like some, going to be some kind of cult leader in the future or something like that. Or that I'm going to sometime, somehow ask you for extra money or somehow, or I'm going to somehow, you know, when, when Peter sent out the posting about the Divine Love Sanctuary, some, some emails come back to him saying, ah, oh, now we know what AJ's up to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now, now all that is, is not dealing with emotions of doubt, right? Emotions of doubt of my character. Right? You're allowed to have them. Like, 
I'm perfectly well to continue them the rest of your life. That's fine, because that's your free will. But what I'm saying is, when you don't deal with an emotion like that, what happens is a spirit comes along. Oh, doubt. I can use that. And at the moment, there's a whole group of spirits who really want to give me a hard time. They can't give me a hard time personally so much, so what they try to do is connect with as many people as they can around me to give, to get them to give me a hard time. Does that make sense? And so, so what they do is they try to actually connect with... Interesting, interesting. <laughs> I was just thinking about the law of attraction of that. And, and, uh, and that was totally spirit-driven. But anyway, we'll talk about that another time. But interestingly enough, many spirits want to connect with your unhealed emotions that you don't want to recognize within yourself. So for example, if you have an emotion of arrogance in yourself, what's going to happen is you're going to attract lots of people telling you you're, you're really great, right? And you'll reject all the people who don't tell you you're great, of course, but you'll attract the people who do tell you they're great, and there'll be spirits around you who want to tell you, tell you that you're great, so that, I mean greater than everyone else, so that eventually what will happen inside of you, you know, they can actually manipulate you in such a way to manipulate that arrogance into doing things they want. Right? Then there's other spirits who do that with sex, and there's other spirits that do that with alcohol, and there's other spirits that do that with drugs, and there's other spirits that do that just with emotions of anger towards men or emotions of anger towards women. Do you see what I'm saying? It's so easy to influence you if you don't own your own emotion. When you deny your own emotion, that's when you are heavily influenced. Yeah? How would a spirit use arrogance as a tool? If I believe I'm better than I am, right, and, and, and I could influence lots of people negatively, and a spirit who is feeling powerless wants to have some power, he can connect to me through my arrogance and cause me to say things to that group of people I might not normally have said just to get a response back to them that they feel powerful. So this happens a lot of times with mediumship, for example, where a medium might be in a state of arrogance and so a spirit connects with them and then they connect with lots and lots of people telling them a heap of untruths, which the spirit believes is true and the person believes is true in their own arrogance, and now lots of falsehood is disseminated just from that one event. So that a spirit can connect through any emotion, any emotion, disharmonious, disharmonious with love or harmonious with love. The key is, if they are disharmonious with love, we need to face them and deal with them inside of ourselves. Every fear you have is manipulatable. Coca-Cola manipulates you every day. Right? People say, I manipulate them, honestly. I'm just, I, I, don't, I don't even know how to do it compared to Coca-Cola. <laughs> Coca-Cola say in their adverts, like, what, Diet Coke? Sexy, hey? You get a sexy woman in a bikini, you know, drinking a Diet Coke. What's that saying to you? You'll be sexy like this if you drink a Diet Coke. Now, if you have an emotion inside of you that connects with that, you'll go and buy a Diet Coke for the first time. You never bought it before and you'll go and do it. And that's the whole point of marketing, isn't it? That's why marketing is not really harmonious with divine love because it actually is used to manipulate people's emotions. It doesn't help them resolve their emotions. It helps them 
it acts upon their negative emotional state to do what the marketer wants. Does that make sense? That's how many times in our lives we're manipulated. Why did you buy the iPod? Because you were manipulated most of the time. Does that make sense? Or was it a pure desire? Did you buy the iPod because your next door neighbour had an iPod? Why have you got a mobile phone? Is it because, in, because your mates bought a mobile phone and you haven't got one? What, often that's what motivates us. You're hip if you do this. You're great, you know what I mean? That's what motivates many of our choices and decisions. Well, why do I go and buy a V8 car when a four-cylinder job will do just as much job and cause less pollution? Right? Because the V8 car gives me an emotion that the four-cylinder one doesn't. Like, I've, I've had the emotion myself. I went and bought a sports car, in, you know, like this was 10 years ago or so. I went and bought a sports car. Might not have even been 10 years ago. It might have been eight, nine years ago or something. I bought a sports car looking for the emotion. Right? <coughs> Driving around in my sports car, pretty good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 240 k's up the highway. <laughs> Fair dinkum, I did. Like, and... Yeah, Jesus was a maniac. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was driven by the emotion. I once remember a conversation I had with a with a fellow, a friend of mine who who's a multimillionaire, and he said he said, you know, one thing you haven't learnt yet, saying to me, one thing you haven't learnt yet is that no matter how powerful the car is, the next car you want will be more powerful. <laughs> and that's true. I hadn't learnt that. I hadn't. And what do I drive around in now? I've got a 1994 Hyundai XL. 1.5 litre. <laughs> um, Mary still feels I'm a maniac though, but anyway. Uh, but, the, but the emotion that drove me was there and the marketing system and everything else was based around the emotion. Does that make sense? And that's how you're manipulated, through your unhealed emotions. Right? This is how the world manipulates you. This is also how spirits manipulate you. So when we have the prayer to lead us away from the influence of the powers of the evil ones or powers of spirits who are evil in their nature who surround us and turn us away from God, right? What are we saying? What we're saying is that I have a sincere desire in my heart to no longer focus on all of these allurements of the world that are before me, but now I'm going to focus on my soul development because that's going to bring me everything else anyway, right? So it's my soul development that brings me everything else. So if I focus on my soul development, all these other things will be added to me. If I understand that emotionally, I won't be focused on all the allurements of the world, if we could call it that. This is what I meant in the first century of being in the world but no part of it. Right? So what I'm doing there is I'm in the world, I live in the world, but I'm no part of it because I'm not drawn into its allurements. And in that state, if I own all of my emotions and I'm praying to God for, for this, then what will happen is these spirits who have been heavily influencing most of us over this last 18 months period will have far less influence upon us. Does that make sense? And by the way, they've influenced all, the, all of our lives and that's because of these unhealed emotions. So once we focus on that and we pray to God, what we're really saying to God is, I want to deal with everything inside of me that causes an attraction between me and these spirits. I want to actually deal with it emotionally rather than living in the expression emotion, if you could call it that. So, you know, when I went out and bought the sports car, I was living in the expression emotion. But I hadn't learnt the truth yet. 
I'm not saying sports cars are wrong. In the future, there'll be these lovely sports cars that uh, levitate that, that actually won't produce any, any emissions whatsoever and that you actually create with your power of your soul and you'll be able to drive them anywhere you want if you want to. But I don't know why you'd want to because I, you'll also be able to teleport. So anyway, <laughs> you know. But you know, these things are all available to you. And in the spirit world, there is locations in the first and second sphere where these things exist. And so, um, you know, you will actually be able to do those things if you want. Of course, your desire for it changes as you grow in love. And so in a lot of times, what you think you want now changes quite markedly. But can you see the power of the prayer in the sense of exposing the connection between how spirits can influence you and your connection with God? Right? So many of you will notice that. If you read the pageant messages even daily, you'll notice that you'll feel a different type of connection. Just that action of reading the pageant messages does that. Because you're actually associating with a whole group of other spirits when you do that. Because all the spirits who say, you know, all the spirits who want you to go down and party down the street and pick up a woman and take her home, they're not there when you're reading the pageant messages. <laughs> they're with somebody else who wants to go down a party and take, you know, that's who they're with. Now, the instant you put them down, you might still have that desire in you and then they might be able to influence you. But can you see how just the a- action of actually raising your own spiritual desires causes you to disconnect from spirits around you. When you deal with the emotion completely, of course the spirit can't even influence you at all. So the truth is, right at this moment, I am still being influenced by spirits. Because I've got unworthiness things. So what do the spirits want? They want me to stay unworthy. Why do they want me to stay unworthy? If I stay unworthy, I won't do more teaching of truth. If I don't do more teaching of truth, less truth will get out there, right? So they want me to stay unworthy. So how do they do that? They get people to send me emails. You're not Jesus. What do you think you're doing? I just had one a few days ago. You know, someone put in bold letters. You are Alan John Miller. Don't, Don't you think you're Alan John Miller? Like, can't you see that's the truth? You know? And, you know, of course, I've had lots of those emails uh, over five years. You can imagine that, right? So, you know, I've had lots of people trying to tell me what they think I should feel about myself. Um, And in the past, a lot of the time, I've taken it on. Like, I've taken on those projections. But the fact that I'm still getting them means I've still got some unworthiness issues to work through. Can you see? Like, so, so I need to work through them. So, so, you know, right now, all of us are being still influenced by different spirits through these different emotions that we're not releasing. In my case, it's this, this big, big fear of what's going to happen in the future. You know, the, the last time I began my ministry, it lasted three and a half years, resulted in my crucifixion and, and terrible and painful emotions in my, in my, in my, my wife and in my child. Like, that's what happened last time. Do you think I'm afraid of that happening again? Right, right at the moment, yeah. Right? So I've got to work through that emotionally. Does that make sense? Right? So, so once I work through that emotionally, that won't be there. The law of attraction will be different. Everything will work through. But it means me working through it emotionally. There are many things you're afraid of, right? About living in truth. How many of you are afraid just to tell your mothers that, no, mum, I don't want you controlling my life anymore? Right? 
many of us are grown adults and we're still in that state, aren't we, where we're afraid of that. So we're afraid, so let yourself tell your mother that and let the emotions rise up. Those emotions prevent the connection with God. What's next? We thank you for your love and the privilege of receiving it. And we believe that you are our Father, the loving Father who smiles upon us in our weakness and is always ready to help us and take us into your arms of love. You see, God, God's like just constantly surrounding you. God is constantly surrounding you, trying to give you every single thing that God has the power to give you, but which at the moment you don't have the power or the willingness to receive. But God's there doing that. And if we pray for that, if we understand that God's this God that's smiling upon us and not castigating us, not trying to punish us or be wrathful with us, then we'll go a lot farther in our connection with God than if we believe the other things. Can you see why many Christians don't get further than the second or third sphere while they're on earth, even if they're receiving divine love? Because they believe God to be a punishing God who punishes the wicked and who punishes all of my sins that are, you know, that I've committed in the past that I, you know, didn't deal with. And that's not what God's like, right? And many of us have those holdover beliefs still within us that need to be released from us so that we can come to see that God is actually this beautiful, loving person who just wants us. And then notice I've said we pray this with all the earnestness and sincere longings of our souls and trusting in your love give you all the glory and honour and love that our finite souls can give. You see, to actually connect with God we've got to trust quite a lot of things initially. After a while, what happens is that we start receiving the divine love and we don't need to trust them anymore because it's reality then. So at the beginning, this period that we're going through, this beginning period, it's often very difficult because we, we don't trust things and we don't trust God and we don't trust God exists all the time. And to be frank, many times in our lives when you're going through a, de- a really hard emotion, you, you don't feel like God's around you, do you? Even though God's right there next to you, you don't feel God's there. And so what happens a lot of times is we get embroiled in that emotional state and we forget the truth. And the truth is that God's always around us wanting to connect to us. And God deserves your love and God deserves your honour and God deserves your respect. God deserves those things from you. Of course, you don't have to give them. I'm not saying God expects them from you. I'm just saying God deserves them. And at some point in our inside of us, we need to start to feel whether that's the truth or not. So now, in briefly covering the 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 prayer, the outline you'll notice in the outline that there's lots and lots of things I haven't covered, like lots of points about God that I haven't covered. So my suggestion is to actually allow yourself to go home now and over the coming weeks re go over that outline. And start looking and feeling about things about God. This is all about your connection with God. The divine love path isn't about emotional processing. The divine love path isn't about the law of attraction. It does involve those things, but it isn't about it. What it's really about is your connection directly with God. And when you do that, all these other things will be added to you. right? 
So my suggestion is to focus on that completely. Mary, you want to say something about that? You don't? You're just going to scratch something. Sorry? I just wanted to... But are you in the middle of saying something? No, no, go. <laughs> I'm always in the middle of something, you know. <laughs> Um, now, <laughs> that was too much for her. <laughs> I, I just wanted to try and express um, sort of that I have um, been starting to re-establish my connection with God and I wanted to try and express just how beautiful this is, how much love is available to all of us, every yeah. single one of us, and... Um, it's really an emotional place and how um, when I'm having a connection with God, how much love I actually feel for God as well. It's a, it's a very uh, – uh, in the beginning I used to think, oh, receiving divine love, you know, it's all about what we're going to get from God and it never felt good to me. Mm. And it, it is because I have these really deep feelings of gratitude and um, – thankfulness to God and when I'm experiencing those things and experiencing the love from God um, it's it's just an amazing thing and and I just wanted to try and reassure everyone that it's it's available for all of us and um, it's just a a wonderful thing yeah it's oftentimes when you when I don't know if you've felt this yourself yet um, many of you I know have when you're sitting down and you're actually feeling about how wonderful God is, like, and how wonderful it is that you're even learning all the things you're learning now. Like, many of you have been seeking for 20, 30, 40 years, you know, these, what's the truths of the universe? Many of you have been feeling that, right? And then when you start hearing the truths of the universe, hearing actually God's truths, and they all, like, they all fit together like a glove, like, don't they? And they, they all just fit together nice and neatly. Everything, where you understand everything as it goes. It all is just so perfect. And you start feeling about the person who made that and how wonderful that person who made that is. When you start allowing yourself to feel that inside of yourself, these, these powerful emotions come from your soul to God. And in that moment that those powerful emotions leave you is the moment you also begin receiving divine love. And many of you have had that experience. So get to know God. Like, allow yourself to think about God more. Allow yourself to meditate about God more. So instead of meditation being a practice of, you know, laying down on the bed and taking yourself maybe out of body or taking yourself into this nice quiet place and then focus on nothing, Instead of doing that, why not add this other element? During that state, allow yourself to feel about God. And you'll notice your meditation just changes into prayer really rapidly and you'll start feeling these things from God then. Because it's like every, every moment, there's things, there'll be talks in the future where I'll be talking about God's qualities and God's attributes. And and they are so numerous that, you know, we could talk for hundreds of years about them and still not cover the subject. 
but there will be things that are covered that just like about even about God being a mathematician or a scientist or but also these other aspects of God love joy peace these aspects of wisdom knowledge power all these other aspects of God when you start adding it all together and you start realizing how awesomely powerful God is but also how infinitely loving she is then you start having these feelings generate in you about God. But you see, while I believe inside of my mind that God's punishing and wrathful and you know that God's going to punish me for my sins and all that, how can I have those feelings? I can't, can I? And so naturally those feelings are going to disconnect me from God. So what I'd like to encourage you to do over the coming weeks and months is to actually begin really focusing on your relationship with God and using that relationship as a means to work through emotions. You see, up to now what we're doing is a lot of emotional processing, working through things and finding out what the emotions are intellectually and then delving into them emotionally. But actually the faster way of dealing with all of our emotions is connect directly with God. See, if you're not receiving divine love right at the moment, it's because there's an emotion blocking it. So talk to God about that. I'm not receiving your love because there's an emotion blocking it. Please show me through the law of attraction what that emotion is. The very next moment generally we'll find it, but if not then, then certainly over the coming days we'll find what that emotion is that's preventing it. As soon as you release it, you'll be able to long for God's love and think about God and feel God and you'll actually feel a feeling enter you and you'll know that that's God connecting back with you. So allow yourself to start developing this relationship with God. This is what the divine love path is all about. It's not about all these wonderful truths that are very, very external to you. It's about what's going on in your internal relationship between you and God. Nothing else, really, in the end. All of those other beautiful truths, which all of you have been so attracted to for the majority of your lives, will all come to you if you develop this relationship first. Now those truths may come to you over a period of time if you develop other relationships instead of this relationship with God, but you'll never understand them until you receive divine love to understand them. So do that first. Focus on that relationship with God first. When you focus on that relationship and long for God's love to enter you, what will happen is you will feel this two-way conversation which is an emotional conversation between you and God. And you will know God exists. That is the way, in fact, you will prove to yourself God exists. Right? And no one will ever be able to shake that in you. And you'll get to the point when you've received enough divine love to be at one with God that no one will ever be able to shake any of the knowledge in you. You will feel the truth inside of your being and you will become outspoken about it, you will have no fear about it, you will know it's the truth inside of yourself. You will become a person who speaks in knowledge, not, not in knowledge of intellectual knowledge, but you'll become a person who speaks in full emotional knowledge of the truth, that you've actually personally experienced it. That's what will happen to you. So my suggestion is to really contemplate this stuff about praying for divine love and praying for divine truth. They are the two greatest things that you could ever pray for and allow yourself to start understanding God's nature and let yourself feel and meditate about God's nature 
and connect to God. Allow that to occur and your soul will expand a lot more rapidly than if you try to circumvent that or you get interested in other things. And the beauty of doing that is all of your spirit communication will all grow very rapidly as a result. All of your joy will grow rapidly as a result if you do it that way. If you do it the other way, where you're focused on these other emotions, you're focused on natural love, you're not so focused on God, you want to connect with your spirit guide and all those things, it will be much slower for you. So allow yourself to do what's going to be the most powerful thing. And I know right at the moment many of, us, many of you may feel like, oh, you know, God doesn't feel real to me. So say that to God. You don't feel real to me. I don't know why, but I would like you to feel real to me. Like, how do I do that? And notice what happens in your law of attraction. What is then attracted to you? Say to God the things you feel. Does that make sense? Just be honest with God. Because remember, connection with God is all about honesty and truth. So that's what I would like to encourage you to do. Now, the reason why I've uh, created next week uh, a talk about emotions of self-deception is that a lot of the times we think we're doing things emotionally, working through things emotionally, but a lot of times what we're doing is creating emotions because we'd rather not do something. Right? And many of you, is what I'm finding when I, when I feel about many of your own progression is that many of you are creating emotions inside of yourself that are not real causal emotion experiences. Right? Even for some of you, some of you have said to me that some of you with self-worth issues don't actually have a self-worth issue, for example. Some of you with issues with the opposite gender don't actually have an issue with the opposite gender in some ways. like So some of you have said, oh, the opposite gender has hurt me so much and you're going through those emotions, but I'm actually feeling, no, no, actually, you've hurt the opposite gender far more than they've hurt you and they're the emotions you need to go through. Does that make sense? So what we need to do is look at the truth about our emotional state. So that's what we'll be looking at next week and hopefully some of you will be brave enough to share some of the things. Now, what I'm doing next week, or what I've considered doing, and I, I, I might have to ask for your permission, uh, although I'm tempted not to, but anyway. <laughs> so like, many of you are posting publicly on the internet your own emotions, right? And I've, and I've had the opportunity to read some of them. Um, and by the way, most of them are emotions of self-deception. And so what I would like to be able to do is get some of those postings and then call you up and sit you down and talk about your emotions of self-deception. Does that make sense? If, if you feel brave enough to do that. If you don't feel brave enough to do that, you just say no. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I'll say no worries. So you don't have to do it, but I'll just invite you to do that. It'll be very good for you from a teaching point of view, but also teaching others. Now, it's these emotions of self-deception that often mislead us on the path of emotional processing and are the emotions of self-deception are often the emotions that cause us to become downhearted in our relationship with God. So many of you have said things to me like, I've been processing emotions for three months and it's been this one emotion and I don't seem to be getting through it. What's going on? Well, what's going on is you're in, your, you're in an emotion of self-deception. It's not the real emotion. Because the real emotions, when you deal with them, get released from you and your law of attraction changes instantly. So we can deal with that with God. So that's what we want to do now, start incorporating God far more in all of these discussions that we're having. Right? 
Now, some for some of you, that will challenge you. And for some of the new people that come along, it will challenge them a lot. But that's okay, because that's all part of their emotional state. Right? And we need to challenge these things to move through this emotional period and really get to the core emotions that are within us. So that's what we'll be doing next week. Tomorrow, we're doing a mediumship session, a mediumship training session. Tomorrow, um, it will only be a shortened session because we've got to be out of here by 5 o'clock, which means we've got to finish by 4 o'clock. So the session tomorrow will be from 1 to 4 o'clock. And uh, I'll be focused in the first hour and a half or so on... We won't have much of a break tomorrow, so we'll have to have a shortened break, maybe 15 minutes or something. And, uh, and then we'll have to pack up afterwards. And what I'm thinking is if you want to get together afterwards, we can maybe, if it's warm enough outside or something at 4... We could tidy up here quite quickly and then just move outside and we could spend time together, you know, outside. So you don't feel like you've got to go straight away or anything like that. And tomorrow will be quite a confronting mediumship session because one of the exercises that I'm going to ask you to do is to start dealing with all of your doubts about my character. And so what I've done is I've actually listed a few pages of really antagonistic comments that have been made to me over a period of five years. For, and I'm going to give you them to read. Right? And, uh, and we'll see how you feel about it over a period of a month. Do you mean your coach as AJ? Uh, by, as AJ, yes. Yep. And uh, there's people who have travelled with me and people who I've met in the past who have now upset with me and I'm going to give you their comments about me. Right? And, uh, and we'll see how that affects your mediumship and how it affects your healing as a result. And next week, we're going to be focused on the emotions of self-deception uh, on the Saturday at Ulo, at Peter's house. And then on Sunday, myself and Mary will be sitting up front and answering your questions. So if you want to come along armed with questions, that's fine. I've got pages and pages and pages of questions that have been asked me um, on, the, on the internet that I could also incorporate. But I'd like to primarily get you to ask the questions you feel because often they are actually guided by spirits with us as well. So that sort of covers both, you know, what the spirits' questions are and what your questions are. So that's what will be happening next week. But I'd like to thank you for your time now and uh, thank you that uh, you come along today. I'm really happy that you came along on this discussion because um, it's, I feel that it's the most important discussion that we will ever have, this discussion about divine love and how to receive it and how to pray for it. Many of you I know are not feeling that at this moment because there's many other things that interest you, but in time I know that many of you will come to feel that as well. So allow yourself to meditate about our discussion today. Um, there isn't anything more that we had to discuss with anyone, is there? Um, oh, there will be upcoming events at Gosford and Armadale. Which we, which we are still in the process of organising and we'll send perhaps... Oh, that's right, I sent it out on the last email as to all the contact details and everything there. So, um, Carol, you had a question you wanted to ask? If there's a mic near you? Sorry. Me. Yeah, Carol. Oh, yeah. um, AJ, I feel a little bit disheartened because I've been... Um, crying enormous amounts yep. um, that I might not be getting past the, the... that I'm not actually accessing the causal. But my question is, could it be that it's so big and so deep that you're just doing chunks of it? 
that, that is sometimes the case. Um, we'll talk about that next week a fair bit, but that is sometimes the case where, yes, you need to chip away at something, but usually if we're not accessing the causal, there are deep fears associated, so the first step is accessing the blocks. So most of us are going through emotions of accessing the blockages to our causal emotion rather than the causals themselves. Now, the process of accessing blockages, and we'll talk about this more next week, but the process of accessing blockages is often doesn't feel productive because our law of attraction doesn't change. You see, if I've got a blockage of fear and I deal with that fear, that the causal emotion with the other, other attractions doesn't change. So I might be afraid. Let's say I'm afraid of dealing with sexual shame, for example. The fear blocks me from experiencing the sexual shame. So first I need to experience the fear. But when I experience the fear and release it, the sexual shame still exists. So my, se my, my sexual attractions still exist unchanged. Does that make sense? My law of attraction will exist unchanged. So dealing with the fear was an emotional process, but it feels like it didn't accomplish anything, but in reality it did. What it did was it lifted the lid on a deeper emotion. So one, it's one of the things we'll talk about next week with, with emotions. There are a whole group of emotions which I'd call capping, there are capping emotions which I call emotions of denial. Then there's a whole group of emotions which are the covering emotions, which cover over deeper emotions. And many of us have been in that state of dealing with covering emotions, which is an important part of the process and has to be dealt with before you'll get to the real causal emotions. So um, it's a matter of how do I know which one's which? And that's what we'll talk about next week. Thank you. Carol, thanks. Um, AJ, there's one thing that I've been reading in the pageant messages that I know and I've discussed with some other people too, that it's sort of standing between me and feeling that there's this... Um, it's making me feel like this God's a bit wrathful, you know? Yep. Uh, and it is that... Um, that the gates of heaven will close yep. soon. Can you explain that? Yep. Um, it's probably a subject I'd like to cover in a lot more detail um, rather than just giving a brief explanation at this moment. But um, yes, the, there will be, at, at a time in the future, there will be a closing of the celestial heavens. Um, I'm not saying that it won't reopen at another time. There are really, really good reasons for the closing and that the major primary reason is that all of those people in the celestial heavens are very much focused on helping people in lower conditions. That also, to a degree, prevents further progression. There's a whole new set of gifts that God wants to give mankind aside from divine love. And only those ones who have received divine love will be able to receive those new gifts. And so there has to be a time when those who have received divine love no longer are focused on what's happening on the earth or what's happening in the spirit world and lower spheres, but are now can focus on these new gifts. Does that make sense? And so what I see happening is there'll be an opening and a closing and an opening and a closing of the celestial heavens. You see, divine love, and this is something that I haven't talked about today, but it's really important to understand. Divine love is a gift. It's not a given. Do you understand the difference? See, you imagine you, you, Christmas time, you've got a, you know, you've got children or whatever and you want to buy them a gift. If the child expects the gift, how does it feel giving it? 
If the child actually abuses the gift, how does it feel now when you've given it? Now what's happening, what's going to happen on earth and in the spirit world during this time that we're living right now is that God's gift of divine love is going to be offered to every single soul. Some souls, in fact I feel perhaps quite a few souls will reject it. Now there'll be a period of time where that's offered and re-offered and re-offered. This gift is known about and offered and offered and offered, maybe even generations where it's offered. But people, and it will be well known all through the spirit world and in, on earth. You see, at the moment it's not well known, even in the lower spheres of the spirit world, but it will be. And so God will be offering these gifts, but what will happen is sooner or later everyone will come to a choice. And the choice is, am I going to receive the gift or am I going to reject it? All those who reject it will actually be prevented from accessing the gift for a period of time. The reason why that will occur is because if it's a bit like if you gave a gift to a child and it just jumped up and down on it, would you contemplate giving exactly the same gift back to the child on exactly the same moment? Why? Because the child already has shown a thankless and unappreciative emotion towards the gift. So what you would generally do is you would talk to the child about that, reason with the child about that, and wait a period of time perhaps before you bought the same gift again, wouldn't you? And then you'd give them the same gift again and see how they treated it then. And that's exactly how God is going to deal with mankind. So this period of time we're living in is a great time because every single person in the spirit world and every single person on earth is, it will be open to the gift of divine love. And it's a fantastic time on earth. There will be a time when that offer, this particular offer, I'm not saying there won't be an offer in the future, I'm saying this particular offer of that gift will be closed. And all the persons who didn't appreciate what they were being offered will be given time to actually work through those emotions as to why they didn't appreciate it. And then there will be a re-offer, probably, made to mankind for that gift. Is that what happened before? Like, is that when you were there in the first century, did you reopen that? Or? Uh, what happened was it was closed when Ammon and a man denied the gift. So when Ammon and a man rejected the gift, the first human couple rejected the gift of divine love, because God could foresee what was going to occur because of their rejection, which was this subsequent soul damage on every generation for a long period of time, what God did was withdraw the possibility of the gift until my coming in the first century. And then God reopened the possibility of the gift, which I embraced. So I was the first person to embrace that gift. And then after me, many, many others were the, embraced that gift. But there was a period of time where the gift was not offered. So in the Paget messages, you'll notice there's these uh, many messages where, there's a, where they were saying, I didn't know about the gift being offered again. You know, where Ammon and Amman say the gift was actually closed from being offered to them after that period. So if you read those messages, you'll see that God has in the past stopped offering the gift when the people didn't want it, allowed a period of time to pass until there was someone there who wanted it, and then reopened the gift again. Does that make sense? So, and then so people will, when it's closed, like people will still go to the sixth level, even on the divine love yeah, path, and yeah. 
and but there won't be you'd say in a way there won't be a divine love path for a period of time okay right and then the path will open again if you like now any who have received divine love can never be divine love can never be removed from you so any of you who have received divine love means that you can never be not offered it does that make sense because god will never do that so it's only those ones who have definitely refused they know of the choice and they refuse to receive the gift. What about the people in sort of the second sphere and third sphere? They're not up to going through the celestial gate. They will still be able to progress in divine love. Yeah. Um, even your soulmates will be able to progress, even if they haven't received divine love, because just remember the soul is a complete unit, not just half. So if half of the soul received divine love and the other half hasn't received divine love, then that entire soul will still have open to it the possibility of receiving divine love. Does that make sense? Because it's the whole soul that God looks at, not the halves. So, so that will continue to occur. The, the issue is that where the whole soul, both halves, have rejected the gift of divine love, those ones will obviously, for a time period, there will be a time period where God will not offer that gift. And it's totally, and it's not for punishment or any of those things, but it's, there's a number of loving reasons for it. One is you don't keep offering a gift to somebody who rejects it. That's a basic principle of love. The second one is that the people who have recept, accepted the gift are in a state where they can accept other gifts and they need to be given the chance to accept those gifts. Do you know what I mean? So it's loving to both part people. And then the third thing is obviously that God will reopen, just like he did reopen in the first century, the opportunity for the gift. And the opportunity is being from there till now and it will continue probably a few centuries yet or a few generations yet. And then God will close down that opportunity for the gift. Those people have the opportunity to progress in other ways and then there'll be a new crop, if you like, of people who receive divine love after that time when God reopens the gift. When the first person... See, in the first century, the first person who wanted the gift to be offered, God offered it. Does that make sense? So when all of the people who have rejected it are in a state of rejection, God won't offer it anymore. But when the first person of those get into a state where they want to have it offered, God will offer it again. Does that make sense? It's totally dependent upon man's desire for the gift. So um, if you can bear that in mind when you read about those things about the closing of the heavens, that'd be good. Is there any other questions? I've got about a quarter of an hour so I can answer any other questions. It's a question. Um, is there ever going to be a time when the earth will pass away? Um, will the earth will no, no be, not be? If you're talking about time when the earth passes away, um, from a purely scientific pers perspective, there is the potential of the earth passing away. Because the sun has the ability to go into a supernova state, which would, have, would, which would destroy the earth. Does that make sense? Now... Now, as far as predictions go, when that occurs, maybe millions and millions and millions of years in the future, right? But it may occur. But by that stage, mankind will be in a state of development where we can go from one planet to another planet without there even needing a method for the transportation between those two locations. So it wouldn't affect us. Does that make sense? So there's not anything to be afraid of, but there is the scientific a possibility 
of like the sun going supernova and 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 there are there are many other planets that support life in the in the universe and so we could easily go to one of those planets or many of them in fact you know one of the things we may be doing in the future is actually going to planets uh, other planets other than the earth these are all possibilities yeah. but uh, and so there is this possibility that the earth may pass but not not now Um, okay. Uh, yes, thank you. Yeah. Hi. Um, Hold it right up close there. Like that. That's it. Good on you. Does the soul condition of the soul halves affect one another even if they're not together? Yes, definitely. What happens is that the soulmate connection, so if you imagine here's one half of the soul and here's the other half of the soul, this is what you look like when you're separated. So one half of your soul, they say, one of it's male and the other one's female. And in terms of the bodies connected to them, the male bodies and female bodies, in this illustration that I'm giving you, there is a constant energetic transaction going on between the soulmate halves, even if you're unaware of it. There's this, and the law of attraction operates upon soulmate halves more than it operates upon every any other relationship. But it's the emotional blockages in each half of the soul that prevent the recognition of this connection. So any change that you make inside of yourself that actually prevents connection with your soulmate will be felt by your soulmate. It doesn't matter what their condition is. Now, when their condition is in a really, really, really poor or shriveled condition, they won't feel it very much. Does that make sense? But if their condition is quite a good condition, they'll feel a very strong feeling uh, and, and they'll feel very much drawn, drawn to you. So what I had to do is deal with a lot of my feminine-based issues, you know, issues with the opposite gender. Mostly, I, I had no anger, very little anger with the opposite gender. What I had mostly was these, these terrible fears of disappointing the opposite gender and, and all of those kind of things. And I had to work through a lot of those issues, which slowly but surely attracted my soulmate. And then I had to also live in desire. So like I lived in South Australia, my soulmate lived in Queensland. So how were we going to meet if none of us lived in our desire? Right? So you know, my feelings started coming up. Oh, you know, I really love Queensland for some reason. I don't understand why. And you know, but but I just like the idea of living there. And so I started traveling up here a bit more than anywhere else. And do you know what I mean? And started, oh, so follow those desires too. So that's a part of what the soulmate attraction does too. Follow the desires. Often it's going to lead you to a place that's closer to where your soulmate is. Does that make sense? Yep. But definitely when you deal with your emotions in your half of the soul, the other half of your soul, whether it be male or female, is definitely going to actually feel those changes and be drawn to you. The law of attraction operates in the most powerful way between Soulmate halves. Right? Thanks. AJ, how big is this God? How is it universal? Is it the galaxy? Is it all the planets? Is it just humanity? God. How big? Yeah. Um, the best way I can illustrate it illustrate God in terms of size to give you a concept. What I 
what I'm going to try to do is give you a concept of infinity, basically, because God is infinite in nature and in power. God's soul is infinite in power. But remember, God's soul doesn't exist inside of the universe. The universe is created by God's soul. So, for example, if you create a car, you don't exist inside the car, do you? You can get in the car and you can get out of the car, but the car isn't you. Does that make sense? So this is the same as God's nature. God's created universes. Like the first universe we'd call the physical universe, right? Now, man can't even measure the extent of this universe at this point. Right? We don't know how big the universe actually is and the spirits have measured the extent of the physical universe. But mankind at the moment doesn't have the, have the means to do that, right? So for all intensive purposes, mankind's viewpoint of the universe is infinite. There are literally, the number of galaxies in the universe, the physical universe, you think of a galaxy. You, you know, most of us have seen the Milky Way galaxy in a picture or something like that. It's a very vast galaxy. The Earth is pinpricked in a tiny little location in the middle of the top. And that's one galaxy. And there are literally billions of those galaxies that each have billions of stars in them which each have billions of planets revolving around these billions of stars. Does that make sense? So there's the extent of the physical universe. You can't even conceive the extent of the physical universe. Now, if you just imagine, then there's the thing called the first sphere. The first sphere of which the physical universe is a part, you could say, the first sphere is another set of that kind of extent of creation. So in other words, it's as big as the physical universe. So you can start seeing it like slices in an orange, you know? So here, here's an orange and you slice up an orange around. If you can think of it as each one of those is a universe, each sphere is a universe. Does that make sense? Right? Now, God created all of that. At the moment, there's 22 of those that are known and each time a person gets into a new condition of love, another one is created. So God not only created these universes in the sense that God created the potentiality of these universes existing. The reason why sometimes I'm referred to in the Urantia book or whatever as the creator son is that the universes from the 7th to the 21st are the universes that I personally created. You follow me? But I didn't create them in the sense of physically creating them I created them by my soul getting into a condition of love that automatically created the universe that I needed to exist in. Does that make sense to everyone? All right, so God's created this unlimited potential for your soul to grow with this unlimited number of universes, each of which is as vast as the physical universe that we're living in right now. So we're starting to get, conceive how big the universe is and God's bigger than that. So can you conceive that this being who's that big wants to talk to you? <laughs> so God is so vast and so powerful that all of these universes are actually created through the laws that God constructed. And every one of you, when you enter one of these new universes, you will change the universe of it. You will change it. Every single person who enters a new universe, physically changes that universe. Right? 
and God created that potential for you. So when you start stretching your mind, and there's a lot of things like that that I'll be talking about with you in the future, when you start stretching your mind enough to even begin to contemplate emotionally what this feels like, then you will start to understand how God is. Right? And, that, and yet, she wants to talk to you. So she wants to have a connection with you. She wants to have a connection with every single child. God is so vast that God can connect with every single child to the extent that you, through your own love that exists in your soul, can create a universe. And God has enough love to actually give love to every single one of you to create your own universe. If you can contemplate how much love that is, you start to understand, which is very difficult to do, how vast God is. So, so when you start feeling about God in this way, you'll start really connecting with this, this beautiful gift that she's giving you that is the gift of, the, of this personal love that she has for you. Do you know what I mean? To, to have a, a being that powerful, right, who can actually give you enough past personal power to create an entire universe that's almost infinite in its nature and yet do that for Brian and do that for every other person that's here and every other person who wants that. And God can do all of that for us just by this process of receiving divine love, expanding the soul. No wonder I've been freaking out. Yep. God is huge. Brian. AJ, as you've mentioned planets and galaxies here, in the um, like the spiritual traditions, they talk about, say, a star or a, a star, say, as having a form of soul um, and likewise planets and, and like an oversoul for a galaxy. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there some truth in this? And there's some truth in the sense that the combined consciousness of the people on the planet cause the planet to have a certain nature. So um, obviously without people on it, um, then it all just operates perfectly as God designed. But the combined soul consciousness or the soul condition of every single on the planet determines what happens to the planet. So the planet then takes on the nature of the people living on it. Right? So our planet right at the moment is doing that. That's why there's lots of areas of our planet that's quite arid and desert there's quite a lot of our areas of our planet that are being destroyed, uh, even naturally. There's quite a lot of areas of our planet where they're losing, where we're losing glaciers, and we're losing all of these things that that are, that, that are quite essential for our our living, our comfort, our comfort. We're losing a lot of these things because of the soul condition of man. So that you could say the planet is taking on the the characteristics or the soul attributes that each one of us are reflecting back at the planet. But it doesn't mean the planet has a personality of its own or a soul of its own. The soul of the planet, you could say, is our soul combined together being reflected. Um, If you can hold it right up. Can you hear me? Yeah. I'm wondering what you think of abortion. What I think of abortion? Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter what I think of abortion. What matters is what God thinks of abortion. What does it mean? <laughs> okay. And what is abortion? 
abortion is the taking of a life of a child growing in the womb of its mother, right? Um, and, and what actually happens at the soul level? What would that little soul be able to do if the mother never did it? Well, the little soul would be able to be born. It would be able to live a life on earth where it's gathering information and things that would be able to have a unique experience here on the earth. As soon as you take that away, you're actually affecting the free will of the child. Anything that affects the free will of another person is actually in disharmony with divine love. So God's opinion of it is it's totally disharmonious with God's love. Now, usually we choose to abort a child for lots of different reasons and they're all emotional. Those emotions might be that we're afraid to bring the child into the world as we have it today or it might be that you know we feel like we're too old or we or it might be that we're too young or it might be that we won't be able to cope with it or you know there might and what god would prefer us to do is to deal with those emotions rather than abort the child when we abort the child there is an emotion there is an emotion created within us that will have to be released through the law of compensation and and to be frank it's the same emotion that motivates uh, that that needs to be released by a murderer so that is something to consider when we're um, in that state. Now, of course, many abortions don't happen because of the choice of the mother only. Many of the abortions happen because of the choice of the father or the, you know, the, 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 who, who created the child as well. And so it's the combined, the law, the law of compensation is acted upon both of those, not just the mother itself. Of course, if the mother decided to abort the child and the father wanted to keep it, then that would be a different matter altogether. Does that make sense? But if the mother destroy, wants to destroy the child, then obviously, um, and the father wants to, or let's say the male puts a lot of pressure on his wife to abort the child, then obviously the law of compensation will very much affect the male more than the mother maybe. So, so it, every situ single situation is very different the way the law of compensation affects it. But the truth is that an abortion is just like it has the same effect on a person's free will as a murder. So um, I've had four abortions. Yep. And I'm wondering um, what is my relationship with these four souls? Um, it what is my? If you work through your emotions as to why you had the abortions. What will happen is you'll be able to re-establish really good relationships with these four children you have. They're all in the spirit world. They've all been looked after very, very well. They've all been loved. The key for you is to work your way through the emotions. When you work your way through the emotions, the spirits who look, have looked after these children will be able to bring these children to you. And if it happened 20 or 30 years ago, 40 years ago, whatever, many of these children will automatically feel drawn to you as you feel love for them. So, so when you work your way through the law of compensation about this, and, and of course the law of repentance even overcomes that. So if you work through this issue with God and pray to God about, you know, having destroyed these person's free will choices and you let yourself feel that emotionally, what will happen is these young ones will be will be drawn to you. So by the time you pass, you'll probably have a very good relationship with them, and you know you'll be able to spend a lot of time with them and see them. 
Does that make sense? So the key with all of my statements is not to take it as, oh, you're as bad as a murderer and all those kind of things. The truth is that there are sets of emotions inside of us that cause us to do things, often which later we regret terribly, right? The key for us is to direct our feelings of repentance and regret towards God and divine love or grace will, will actually help us remove those emotional causes which created the desire in us to, to have the abortion. So, or to do whatever we did, you know, whether that's, you know, in harming anybody's free will, let alone a child's. So the key for us is to work through those emotions. When we do that, we demonstrate our true repentance, our true sorrow. Our true sorrow is dealt with completely when we have a pure desire to deal with every emotion that caused us to make the choice we made. Does that make sense? So just allow yourself to work through those emotions that caused you to make the choices. Let yourself feel about them, pray to God about them, let yourself feel your emotions about them and also start to let yourself feel the desires you have to reconnect with these children. Does that make sense? Because you do have those desires now. Let yourself feel those desires as well and cry about the fact of the thing. You know, allow yourself to grieve what, what has been done. And when you do that, you'll have a much stronger bond with them. And you'll feel them come to you when you do that. And who is it that you forgive? If you put that right up to me. Who, who does the forgiving? There's two that do the forgiving. Firstly, God always forgives. So every single action you've ever taken, including, including one of abortion or murder or any other thing, God has automatically forgiven it. But what needs to happen inside of you is there needs to be this process of forgiveness of self that needs to occur. And that only occurs through this action of repentance or through the law of compensation. So the forgiveness of self is really a fo eventually not remembering. So when you go through the law of compensation, you might, if, if, if it's with abortion, many women have gone through 30, 40, 50, 100 years in the spirit world of the law of compensation of that, or they've spent a few months working through their emotions as to why they did it, and God, God's divine love enters them and takes away the cause, which means that they were automatically forgiven themselves. So every single person at some point will come to a complete knowledge of everything you've done in disharmony with love and you will also at some point have forgiven yourself for every single thing you did in disharmony with love. Does that make sense? God's already forgiven you but we, we don't forgive ourselves even when we think we have. The fact that we still think about it emotionally means we haven't forgiven. Right? What will happen is you'll get to a point where all of these things you'll feel within yourself as forgiven and you will have forgiven yourself and you'll at that point know that forgiveness has occurred. And divine love is the operation which can do it in a vastly speeded up manner by repentance. But if you don't, if you don't get involved in repentance, then you're on the natural love path and you'll have to go through the law of compensation. And that may be many hundreds of years dealing with such issues. Thank you. Does that make sense? I can give a lot more answer about that at another time perhaps, but uh, Morgan, thank you. And um, this will be our last question. How do our parents choose us? How do our parents choose us? Um, yeah, like if By their not... emotional and soul condition. So, um, and there are a lot of factors at play. There are literally billions of factors at play in the choice of a child at a soul level. So, um, those of you who have heard my previous presentations know that 
that it's the parent's soul condition that attracts the child into their life, the unborn child into their life. Now, there are literally thousands, millions of conditions in this child that cause a certain type of child to be attracted. And those factors include things such as personality, but they also include things such as emotional injury, reflection of emotional injury between, so that the parents might have certain emotional injuries that need a certain type of child personality to trigger those injuries. That will be part of the law of attraction. There will also be environmental factors in the parent and what the child longs to do in its life in terms of, because remember the child doesn't have a conscious longing, so, but there are child characteristics that, that cause the attraction as well. So the parent's location might even cause the attraction to a certain child and so forth. There are literally, like I say, millions of factors. The key for us to be aware of as a parent is that I've attracted this child into my life Anything that this child is triggering in me or any way this child is acting is actually a reflection of my law of attraction. So it's really important for the parent to see that. From a child's perspective, we often feel that it's so unjust uh, where we've had a certain parent, but actually there are certain things inside of you, for instance, more emotionally, that are going to vastly help your family when you get into a state of truth. Does that make sense? So when you're in a state of truth and love, you'll find that you, you'll, you'll become the leader in your family of actually dealing with all these emotional causes within them and your whole family line, not only the ones that were born after you, but all the ones born before you will benefit from that. So actually, while you're seeing born into a certain family at the moment as a very disadvantageous thing, the reality is in the future you'll see it in a totally different light once you've worked your way through some of the hurts that you have. All right, well, thank you very much for um, your time today. And uh, thank you. And we'll catch up with, uh, with everyone uh, who wants to do the mediumship tomorrow, obviously. So uh, along your uh, mediumship or healing roles, and we'll see how we go tomorrow. Thank you.